Fun Ideas Productions presents the Fun Ideas Podcast. Hi, this is Mark Arnold, and welcome to Fun Ideas Podcast number 200. The Fun Ideas Podcast is brought to you in part by Freaky Magazine. I contribute material to every issue, so give it a try. Hey kids, have you read Freaky? The magazine of weird humor for freaks like you. Freaky Magazine is a way out collection of weirdo comics, kooky gags, photo funnies, social satire, and surreal collage. 52 pages of insanity in the tradition of magazines of yore like Cracked, Plop, and Zap. Special offer for Fun Ideas listeners, get a free sample copy in the mail, made of smelly newsprint and smudgy ink the old-fashioned way. Just message your mailing address to theslowpoisoner.com gmail.com that's the slow poisoner at gmail.com while supplies last on sale now is mark arlo's latest book called pac-man the first animated show based upon a video game this book tells the story of pac-man phenomenon and goes through the entire history of the hanna-barbera animation studios the history of the video game Pre-Pac-Man, the history of Pac-Man, the character, the video game, the spin-off, the merchandise, and the anime TV series. Each and every episode of the classic 1980s series is covered and examined. Plus, Mark Arnold covers how Pac-Man has been honored on various anniversaries, including the 40th anniversary in 2021. A fun read for casual and hardcore Pac-Man and video game fans alike, featuring many character model sheets and other images. Available online through Bear Manor Media, Amazon, and Barnes & Noble. Get your copy today. Friends, have you tried Lee's Comics? Lee's Comics is better than the leading comic book store. Wait a minute. Lee's Comics is the leading comic book store. Based on arbitrary standards set by Lee Hester himself. Lee's Comics was named as one of the 21 best online dealers by popoptique.com. To shop the Lee's Comics eBay store, go to eBay and search for Lee's Comics, Inc. That's L-E-E-S-C-O-M-I-C-S-I-N-C, period. Don't forget the period. Mention the Fun Ideas podcast when you order, and you'll receive a free bonus gift. Stars of Walt Disney Productions is my latest book, Out Now. I just turned in the manuscript for Not Just Happy Together, the Turtles A to Z, from AM Radio to Zappa. It's a book I've been co-writing with Charles Rosnay. I'm doing the final edits and photo selection of my Mad Book, and that will be turned in next. I'm also working on my TV Cartoons at Time Forgot book, plus articles on Nightmare, The Galloping Ghost, and Harvey Superheroes. For our 200th show, we have gone back to interview the man who helped me start this podcast back in 2018. 
Here he is, Lee Hester of Lee's Comics. Hey, it's the 200th episode of the Fun Ideas Podcast. I'm your host, Mark Arnold. And uh, people have been saying, who are you going to have on the 200th episode, Mark? Who? You know, and it's like, well, I wanted Paul McCartney. He said he was a little busy. And Ringo said he had to uh, repair a drum kit. So um, I got my very first guest back. And he's the one that actually kicked me in the butt and actually got me to do this in the first place when I really didn't want to do a podcast. But here he is, all the way from San Jose, California, Lee Hester. Hello, folks. Hey. Now, when when I started doing the show, these are all on audio, so we never got to see you. And uh, Lucky so, you. Yeah. <laughs> And then about halfway through, after about issue, issue uh, uh, show number 100, roughly, um, I think I did a couple test ones before 100, but it's pretty much been video only or video and audio only ever since, you know, with some exceptions. But, you know, it's like, hey, here we are. So I, I actually enjoy doing this. It's really weird. And you know, I didn't think I would, but it's helped me immensely in doing my interviews for my books. Um uh, most recently interviewed Mitch Weissman, who was uh, Paul McCartney on the uh, original Broadway version of Beatlemania, and he toured with the Turtles, so I interviewed him about Is that as British? well. Is He's he British? He's not. He's not. So he does Did he know do it as Paul McCartney? Did he do no, it no, no. as Paul McCartney? <laughs> no, that would have been good. Well, when you see the show, because it hasn't uploaded yet, when you see the show, it uploads next week, I believe. Um, you'll find out, yeah, he just has a typical New York <laughs> accent. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Anyway, but he still resembles Paul. It's kind of weird uh, when I was talking to him. I go, he still looks like Paul, but I couldn't be all like weird about it. It's just he does, you know, he was blessed with Paul jeans so he could be Paul McCartney on stage and he That's learned how amazing. to play he learned how to play the bass and then he started playing bass for other people <laughs> so anyway well, my, my, my favorite Paul McCartney album is McCartney yeah. and I have it in I got a uh, SUV so I could fit more comics in it I was driving it around today and um, I had uh, McCartney playing in there and I was thinking back to a conversation we had. You said you don't generally like things where um, they go back and do stuff again. And I realized he had like other versions, like a sing-along version of junk or whatever. Yeah. You know? yeah. Um, but then I thought, wait a minute, the Beatles did that too, right? Yeah. Well, he, Paul was actually the one who did that. With In the Beatles. Beatles. And, and I was thinking about it too. There's reprises of a same track on Sgt. Pepper yeah. on the White Album. Uh, I'm trying to think if there was... Um, Abbey Road, right? Abbey Road has the medley, but I don't think it really has a reprise of anything. Um, but no, then when here you go comes his, the sun, wait, wait a minute. Here comes the Sun King. Well, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> but when you get into McCartney's, so he does it with junk on uh, McCartney. And then mm -hmm. the next album, he has a little reprise of Ram On, on right. ram yeah, and yeah. then i think he skips on uh no wildlife he has mumbo link he has a yeah. mumbo and then mumbo link and then uh red rose speedway he doesn't do a reprise but he does a medley again so uh, you know like on abbey road and then band on the run at the very tail end of the album there's huh. a little reprise of band on the run after 1985 and then venus and mars there's a venus and mars reprise <laughs> yeah you know, he didn't do it on every album but he likes that he likes to do that you know but that's you told me that was the thing you don't like 
I don't care for it that much. It's interesting. <laughs> I was though, like, wait know. a minute. The Beatles did it. <laughs> I, I want like another I want another it. new song. That's, you need you to know. be consistent and you need to not like Sgt. Peppers or Abbey Road. <laughs> right? Well, I mean, <laughs> even George even George did it on All Things Must Pass. There's two versions of it. it uh, isn't it a pity? And you oh. know, it's like you know, it's like, why? <laughs> um oh white album does have two versions or three versions no two versions but there was a third version of revolution so right right exactly <laughs> and um anyway and then wild honey pie and honey pie is on that album too so those, <laughs> those repeats i'm i i think they can get frustrating because i've heard this already but i think maybe mccartney was trying to be and he did tend to be more orchestral right so yeah I mean, there there is a style. There's a reason right. for it, you know. Right. And even in uh, orchestral movements or even uh, movie soundtracks, they do the same thing where they right. repeat an, a theme, and you go, oh, "Oh, that's the theme of that person." Right, right. You know, so I get it. You know, I'm not saying it's bad. I'm just saying I want another song. <laughs> <laughs> but gee, I mean, when McCartney's like on the ball, yeah, there's really not anybody better. No, I mean, people people will kick. Oh, he's not as cool as Lennon. OK, he's not a big jerk like Lennon was, but he's yeah. just as talented. Yeah. You know, you could be a nice guy and also be talented. I think the hard part for people to grasp about McCartney is that he's put out so much material because he was always the workaholic, even right, within right. the Beatles. So it's like uh, it's hard to kind of grasp it all. And, you know, it's easy to just dismiss and say, well, if he had a filter like John Lennon, you right. know, uh, maybe he wouldn't have released all that material. But I don't mind it so much um, because his stuff goes all over the map. I mean, McCartney, you're mentioning uh, many times is your favorite. You know, it's a very now I'm reading that book, the McCartney, whatever. I didn't bring it in. It's this big red book. But it talks about it, the theme of the McCartney album is basically home family, the wife, right. love, you know, it's just, you know, the only kind of, it says this word outlier. The only outlier of the whole thing is Krina Kror, which is the final track on the album, because, you know, it doesn't really fit in with anything else right. that's on there. It's like, <laughs> but, you know, that might be why he placed it at the end, you know, right. and it's like, um, but everything else fits in perfectly. Even Teddy Boy does, you know, which was just I, a leftover. Actually, I John think so, because I remember on the oh. anthology, yeah. like he's singing it and Lennon's making fun of it. Do you yeah. remember that? Yeah. You know, like Lennon's doing a goofy voiceover. Like to me, it seemed like Lennon was kind of mocking it because it's oh. not cool. It's it's very tender and raw. And, well, you know. well, Lennon got to the point where he didn't like what he called McCartney's granny music. Granny and music, exactly. he, he and other ones he despised were Obla Di Obla Da and Ma Maxwell Silverhammer. <laughs> um, and partially is because they have kind of little, they're different. They're not straight rock and roll records. They're right. def definitely different. But also, I think on both of those, McCartney was a, a real perfectionist trying to get them right. right. And yeah. Lennon just, you know, the more he had to play it, the less he was interested. <laughs> you know. I, I think it's it's all brilliant stuff, and I, I don't think Lennon should have knocked him for doing it. I mean, this is a guy that gave the the Beatles so many hits; it's ridiculous, you know, covering yeah. with Lennon. He well, shouldn't let him do his thing. I, I think um, Lennon went through phases. Had he stayed alive, 
you know, he, he badmouthed Paul at the beginning of the seventies because Paul badmouthed John too. They, they weren't, right. you know, it, but later, you know, they probably would have figured out, Hey, we are similar in many ways. We're not the same right. in many ways. Uh, I think there would be a lot of mutual respect. Um, and they'd probably still diss things and say, you know, well, why did you do McCartney three? That was really lame or something. Even though I don't mind that album, if you haven't heard it, it's it's different. I haven't uh, even heard McCartney two. I yeah, should well, McCartney I love one so much. <laughs> the, well, see that now they stole a box set that has one, two, and three together. And on the way home, because I was just down there in San Jose uh, visiting, um, coming back, I listened to all three back to back. And there's really nothing in common about any of them. But uh, the one thing that is unique about it is it's really Paul by himself. Although Linda contributes, especially on McCartney 1, the first one, she sings the high note parts. Yes. And she actually, even though she didn't get credit for it, I read in that book uh, that she co-composed a couple of the songs that are on there. Um, I believe it was Manly Man We Was Lonely, I think, was co-composed by both of them. And we was lonely. Yeah. Hey, I wanted to say this too. Everybody, and I heard this for years and years and years, criticized Linda. Like she can't sing, like Alex Bennett used to take out her voice, like, <laughs> and they just show how see how bad this is. And then I actually listened to her. And I love her voice. Yeah. And I, well, I think you know, those people like you can never take let other people make up your mind for you no. you've got but, to explore yourself because but also if you know singing well enough i mean what she I was do. doing the the one uh clip that went around is when she was singing live hey jude on stage uh -huh. and it sounded like she was singing off key she right. was not singing off key she was singing a harmonic key but when the harmony is sung i used to do that all the time yeah. Uh, when I was in chorus as a child, they uh, they had to sing "God Bless America" right. as an example that I remember. And can this, you do your part from, this, you know, from this, memory? Well, I, okay. So the standard is, and I won't sing the whole song. Is "God Bless America," da, 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 you know. And then I remember the minor part I had to sing, and it was right. really tough because you had I to you had to concentrate on your own, or you'd be singing like everybody else, and it, it was like. God bless America, land that I love. You know, and it sounds awful. It sounds we'll like wow, he's, sing, we'll, he's we'll singing all out. out of tune. And it's we'll, like, but when you blend yeah. it together, the minor key one with the yes. major key, it sounds beautiful. And you know, it's like I got it. You know, I was like in sixth grade or something, and they had us like doing the different things. So I learned from that. So when they started dissing Linda McCartney years later, it's like she's singing a harmonic. Yeah uh for that i mean paul's not stupid he knows how to do orchestral yes. things you know and especially by that time when she was singing on stage with him maybe not in 1968 but certainly by the 80s and 90s when they were doing that so you know because he did or he's done orchestral scores so <laughs> i will say this i mean linda was probably like an average ordinary girl right yeah with, with average talents and whatever Paul could take someone with average talents and with his guidance, yeah. make them very good. Yeah. Because he, for him, it's like he could pick up, you know, a ukulele with three strings and he could do an, an uh, he could do an, an opus with it. Right. Yeah. It's Paul McCartney. So he could take you, he could take me, anybody he cared for, he could make them into something. Yeah. So that was part of his genius too. I mean, he could take, kind of an ordinary person she didn't have to 
you know, greatest voice in the world. She didn't know Ella Fitzgerald, right? Yeah. <laughs> but 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 she was just fine as a, and and she learned too. She learned how to play the piano. She learned how to harmonize. Yeah. I think her contributions are charming. I love her contributions. Yeah. So. Yeah, uh, I hate the haters. <laughs> yeah, well, it's mainly oh Yoko and Linda broke up the Beatles, you know, and they still even say Yoko has her even charms. when oh. when the Get Back footage has all come out, and they you know it really shows that they didn't get they didn't interfere all that much, you know, according right. to the footage, you know, but there's still the haters. Ah, they were there. That's bad enough, you know. And it's like oh, give me a break, <laughs> you know. They were ready to break up anyway, and they made some they stupid business deals by that point, but you know. It might not have helped to have them there, but, you know, it's like it probably didn't hurt either. I mean, it probably kind of was a buffer to have the wife there instead of them just at each other's throats, you know. Well, I think so. if, if everybody had signed with Eastman, yeah. they would have been fine and they could have yeah. stayed together. Because yeah. Eastman took really good care of Paul's investments, made him very wealthy. Right. And the other guy ripped everybody else off. And yeah. they even admitted Paul was right the whole time. Yes. Yeah. But, you and know, the like, other three were worried yeah. because it's their in-laws. You'd have favoritism and all this other stuff. It, too much ego in the band. Well, you know, I bet Eastman well. would have been yeah. much, much better to have yeah. some yeah. danger of favoritism than just to be ripped off. Yeah. I'll say one last thing about uh, Linda and then we'll move on here. Uh, it's like, uh, I don't know if you've heard this album or even aware of it, but during her lifetime, she put out occasional songs here and there. There's a song on uh, Wings of the Speed of Sound. So after, after her death, uh, Paul got all the songs she ever did, even some unreleased ones, and put out an album. And it's actually not that bad of an album. It's called Wide Prairie. And... Uh, um, you know, it's songs she wrote, songs she just sang. Some are covers, some are, you know, like she hit uh, Sugar in the Morning, Sugar in the Evening, Sugar, in, you know, she does a version of that. And, you know, hey, you know. And then um, she did a reggae song called Seaside Woman that was released undercover, meaning under a pseudonym like Susie and the Red Stripes a couple times. I think I checked that out. I think yeah, I listened so, to that one. So there's things like that, you know, and the, the one on Wings of the Speed of Sound is Cook of the House, you know, which is written by Paul, but it's, talks about food and everything. It's kind of a charming tune. Most people go, oh, get this crap off of here, but I like oh, it. Oh, I'll check yeah, it out. Yeah. <laughs> because it's like, it's going to be kind of a homemade thing. Yeah. And there's some charm to that. Yeah. But yeah. uh, I think what helped Linda's case is she was a fast learner. Paul admitted it in interviews. And so, yeah. you know, she was able to pick up the piano when she didn't yes. know really how to play. Uh, she was a good photographer. So she had talents yeah. already. She was a great cook. So she all the, had all these talents already. It was just yes. embellishing what she already knew, you know. And, you know, the Beatles are not going to pick some untalented doofus, even if they got divorced from their first wives or whatever. You know, in most cases, you know, I don't think Cynthia was that stupid for Lennon. I don't think uh, Patty was that stupid for George or Maureen was that stupid for Ringo. You know, they all had their charms and were there yes. for that time. I think the stress of breaking up the Beatles and everything else took its toll in the marriages, too. And so it's inevitable. But now Ringo stayed with his second wife longer than anybody else. He's been married to Barbara Bach for over 40 years. So, you know, he's a looker too. Huh? Yeah, yeah. So, um, anyway, so that's my Beatles discussion, I guess for right now. Um, 
before we got on the show here, I was like looking, what should I talk to Lee about? I don't know. And I just put some random things here, but um, here's one thing. So we, we were at the Berkeley con recently and this is kind of funny. So I bought some famous monsters magazines. And when I started buying famous monsters, it was in the late seventies um, because they're always kind of expensive. Um and unlike like creepy and eerie which you could buy back issues all the way to the number one uh famous monsters you could only back buy back to like number 33 and right. now i finally own issue number 33 <laughs> hey the one you would always see there yeah as the earliest issue you could buy now i have <laughs> earlier issues i still don't have a number one but this is what you will find amusing and uh because you have lee's wall of death or used to so yes. he did there's an article in here about the monster movies called yes. carry on monsters carry on. so there's the mummy and it goes on for pages here he has the frankenstein monster and dracula yes. <laughs> i just thought this was funny just because we we're gonna do this uh I, this is like tor johnson down here is colossal man over here uh the gill man over here <laughs> <laughs> and you know various other monsters you know they're all carrying the the damsel in distress just like on the comic book covers it's just funny it just went on for now, on the comic so. <laughs> it's the hero is yeah. cradling their fallen comrade right and like right. crying up to the skies yeah. and there's like one arm dangling down right um there's a certain meme to this and it's most famous with uh crisis on infinite earths yeah which happened in like you know the eighties, but there's antecedents, famous ones to the sixties and even back to the forties. Yeah. But um, I think Neil Adams kind of did it first in in the more yeah. modern style with every little element yeah. uh, present, and then George Perez and John Byrne. I mean, everybody's done it on Facebook. I've got about a hundred different iterations on comics, yeah. and most of them are kind of zeroed in on that crisis cover mm -hmm. the funniest thing is i found a picture of george perez carrying a fan <laughs> like that. Ah, he's That's doing funny. that exact yeah. same pose yeah. now of course and yeah I, i'll admit on the comic book covers it is a little bit different because it's supposed to be a death the ones that right. were shown here are a monster grabbing the girls and, and they're not necessarily they, dead you know but it's no. still the same pose of holding a body up you know so, that's so they're not they're not yeah. like sad that the person died. Yeah. They're carrying them away for some nefarious purpose. Yeah. <laughs> they come right. too. Right. Yeah. Right. But what I so found amusing was in the, as... it was in the same pose. It even looks if it was, similar. Even if the, the intention was completely different. But so. You could have a monster that's sad that, that, that like say somebody died, like a woman particularly. You could have a monster that's like yeah. crying. You know, even though they're a monster, they they're they're sad. And maybe Frankenstein could be sad that he drowned the little girl, you know, or something. You know, mm. <laughs> he's playing with. He could like uh, take her out of the water, and he he could have seen what he done and started to cry. Mm -hmm. That's possible because he didn't mean to kill her. Mm -hmm. <laughs> now, a lot of people attribute the first one is the Batman cover with it, where he's yeah. carrying Robin, but I think there's even a few examples. No, I have that. things that are a decade yeah. earlier than that. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, because I think there was an article similar to what, you know, we're talking about in one of the comic magazines back issue or one of them, you know, and they, they claimed that, that was the first one. I go, no, it's not. It wasn't. <laughs> yeah. well, you, 
you could analyze it and you can see when different elements were added. Yeah. You know, like say the hand going down and, you know, the, the fingers drooping or whatever, the person like tilting their head, crying, looking up at the heavens, whatever. There's a lot of things that were added yeah. as time goes by that, you know, so if, if you want to get every little detail in there and, um, you know, it's, it's, it, they also say it's like that religious thing, but, um, it's Mary cradling oh, yeah. Jesus, yeah. but she's yeah. seated. It's yeah. the oh. paida. Is that the pronunciation? Uh, the I think pita, so. paida, yeah. Yeah. The pita bread. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> Something yeah. like that. The artist feet. But, um, yes, yes. And they use that version on death of Captain Marvel. Yeah. By, yeah. by, uh, Jim Starlin. That's, yeah. that's the seated, the, rather than, you know, caring, you get to be right. seated for right. that one. And I did my own version on my very last issue of the Harveyville Fun Times because it was our, my death issue. <laughs> Number 75, I have. You have it right here. <laughs> no, I don't have it right here, actually. But you have a copy of it, I believe, unless you sold it off. Uh, it's, it was uh, Casper carrying Wendy, and all the Harvey characters are in mourning around the whole room. Like from Crisis. That, yes. That, yeah. that happened, yeah, that happened in yeah. Crisis. And I, I had... Uh, friend named jeff little do that cover because first he can draw the characters really well but also the, they would never do a harvey cover like that and i said i want a harvey cover like the here's where you do some fancy editing and you put that thing right up there right <laughs> <laughs> so um anyway uh what else do i have here um here's something i bought today it's really stupid but i i'm a batman tv show fan but i'm Me also too. I'm also a Vincent Price fan, and McFarland Toys put out an egghead. <laughs> All right. Hey, um, Vincent so, Price played egghead then, huh? Yes. Now, and, did he shave his head for that, or did he have like no, a... No, he just has a rubber head. head. Yeah, he has What's a rubber it? head. I think he was rubber on head. three three separate episodes. It's a two-parter and a single one. I'm not All, shaving for the, that. Yeah, I know. <laughs> You'll have to pay me more to <laughs> shave my head. <laughs> well, like, heck, even Cesar Romero wouldn't shave his mustache for. I them. know, like, <laughs> shaving was this horrible thing. He'd like you'd lose all your power or something. I mean, it's time. funny. There's people that that are adults and they go, "I swear, I never knew he had a mustache until very recently." Right. I knew it when I was a kid because I was saying, "What's wrong with his lip?" I would I would look at little details like that and I go. He has a mustache, <laughs> you know, and so now, now everything is available in high def. Oh, yeah. Now it even so probably stands if, out more. You know, they shot this stuff on film okay, and, and you watch it on Blu-ray. Yeah. I mean, you're going to see details you never saw. Like we were in Hawaii and we're doing this Hawaii Five O kind of tour and we were staying at the hotel that they use for Hawaii Five O, right? Mm -hmm. So they're playing the show the whole time. And it's on high def on a big screen TV. And you're seeing like a wig on the main guy. You never saw that wig yeah. pasted on and like all kinds of stuff you were never meant to see. It's it's weird. Like well, um, if you watch Star Trek in high def. Oh, yeah. You see all these details that no one thought you would ever see. Well, on both Star Trek and then I'm watching the original Mission Impossible. I'm on season three. And, you know, they get really intense sometime doing something behind the scenes. And. I don't think I noticed all the sweat, you know, right. <laughs> I was like beads of sweat. And he's all, <laughs> I got to get this thing done, you know? And it's like, I don't think that they it meant that to be seen that clearly, you know, but you certainly see it now. So 
it's kind of interesting to watch them again and, and you, you see these weird details that you that were unintended <laughs> yeah. and unfortunately sometimes uh and this is also on mission impossible they had some floating disc and one of the characters was controlling it well, with the high definition, now you see the wires and exactly. <laughs> That's better somehow. I mean, it's it's different. Yeah. yeah. Different Whereas somehow. before, on the cheap tube TVs that were like, you, know, yeah. you never saw it, black and white, whatever. You know, you don't like... have to worry about that. <laughs> you can see the magic trick, like all these all these YouTube videos where they show you the trick, then they show you behind how the trick is being done. I was like it when people are so meticulous with something is they'll be watching a show and some like a lady will have a necklace and then the next scene she doesn't because they did two different takes and she had a necklace in one take and didn't in the other and they intercut them so her necklace disappears and reappears yeah. because they intersplice the two different takes <laughs> it's like well these things weren't meant to be watched over and over and over and over 50 years later so yeah. well check it out um we saw the Godfather Part Two together when you yep. visited. Yeah, we went to uh, a thing where you can have dinner while you watch it, yeah. which is an interesting experience. But mm -hmm. I read that you know the scenes with Hyman Roth, you know, yeah, he has this this shirt that has a very intricate pattern on it, right? Yeah. So they filmed those scenes with him with this. Somebody must be at the door. There's critics. <laughs> anyway. They couldn't find that shirt. They looked high and low, right? Remember uh -huh. the shirt, the intricate? So they had a guy, like, get a plain shirt and do all that design with a marker. Oh, wow. I didn't know that. So I was, I was like, staring at that to oh, see okay. if I could see, all right, which one's the shirt with the marker and which one's the regular shirt? <laughs> it's just so it matched with the first Godfather yeah, or the yeah, second they, one? They, okay. they had yeah, they had to shoot another scene, like, my God, where is that shirt? No one yeah. could find it. So mm. they just they made one with a marker. <laughs> wow. That's definitely something to look for. Yeah. So I, I will tell you my assessment. We really didn't talk about it, but um, you know, I, I said originally when I saw Godfather, uh I saw it as the saga. So it starts off with the Robert De Niro part from part two, and then it goes through all the Brando part from part one, and then it finishes off with the uh, other Al Pacino part from part two and um, I remember years ago when I worked at channel 44 I had an argument with a lady that worked there who claimed up and down that Godfather part two did not win best picture it was a terrible movie this is her opinion and, and she says no sequel has ever won a best picture it's what? terrible this is her opinion she's probably long gone now but that has nothing to do with anything it's just this is 30 years ago and uh so i kind of had that in the back of my mind maybe two isn't as good as one but we watched two and i watched one recently as separate movies and i have to admit i think two is better than one wow you know it's like one is dang good it's like if if you had one as an a this would be an a plus i mean and it's it's not because it jumps back and forth through history it's because it rounds out what was in the first movie and they know what they're doing. The character, you know, Pacino knows his character. They all know their characters. And so they become these people. And um, it, it's just interesting watching how the that more works. I, the more I watch it, the more I think Michael was too cruel. 
You know, he wasn't he wasn't as fair minded as his father. No, because like <laughs> as big spoiler, but um, him getting rid of Fredo, I think, was terrible. And yeah. and also, although Fredo wouldn't shut up, and he messed up a couple times, so Fredo fucked know, up. Yeah, they should have yeah. just made okay. Keep an eye on Fredo. Make sure, <laughs> like, yeah, assign somebody to watch Fredo. Yeah, that's your brother. And, and I, I, How I guess father have felt about that. Do you think? Yeah. Yeah, I, I guess in his defense, Michael at least let him live as long as the mother was still alive. So, you know. and then in part three, you can see him deny yeah. that he did it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but and also, it seems like you should have just let Hyman Roth alone. Just to have him assassinated was just first of all, his body, his faithful bodyguard got killed trying to do or doing that. Yeah, and. It seems like it was just overkill. Mm-hmm. So Michael seemed like unduly harsh. Yeah, I think that was intentional. And really what, what's to... interesting is you had to live with that as a fan yeah. or whatever for yeah. 15 years. You know, it's like because there was never a guarantee that Coppola would do a third one. In fact, he said no. And then at some point he was going to do one about 1979, which is about 10 years or so earlier. Um, and it was actually going to have like John, John Travolta in it. I remember, and then that was canceled. <laughs> I'm, I, I'm, I'm not saying Travolta would be necessarily <laughs> bad, but you know, it, it's it, it at the time it was him coming off of uh, Saturday Night Fever in Greece, so right. you have that impression in your head. It's like, uh, can he do this? Or, or Vinnie Barbarino? <laughs> Welcome back, Connor. He, no, he could have. I mean, it. since that time. It. Travolta has proven himself. Um, you know, if you ever see the U.S. versus uh, O.J. Simpson, he's excellent in that movie and things like that. So he could he actually he made an early picture that's really great that people don't really know about. That and that's um, but it, it's uh, blow, blow, oh, blow out. up, blow, blow out. out. Yeah, there's blow up and blow. Was, out. Okay, blow yeah, out. Blow, blow, out. blow yeah, up yeah. was the original, and blow yeah. out was a remake of sorts. Yeah, uh, directed by Brian De Palma. Yeah. And it was not a hit. No. It's absolutely brilliant performance by Travolta. It's a great movie. Everybody should seek it out. Um, well, Travolta was even good in The Boy in the Plastic Bubble, as, as campy as that sounds. You know, he, I, I he, didn't see he, that it, was, it was a TV movie that was dramatic. It wasn't so silly and stupid. So, you know. Anyway. I recently watched Carrie uh, hmm. again. And, and he, he's in it, but he doesn't have much to do. Yeah. I mean, he's just kind of a jerk. Yeah, <laughs> he plays the jerk. And everybody figures, oh, he's a jerk anyway. So yeah, that's no. the character that he plays. Yeah. By the way, I think Carrie's a great movie too. Yeah, that's a good also movie. Brian too. De Palma. But going back to uh, Godfather for a second. So this is a series that I got for Christmas, but I have not watched it yet. It's oh, okay. ten parts. So I recommend it. I've heard good things about it. It's supposed to be the story behind the scenes of how they created the Godfather and. Um, uh, this is supposed to be Coppola there, sitting there. It's not, you know, <laughs> you know. But anyway, I already knew it was kind of a complicated story because I've seen the kid that's the kid stays in the picture. If you ever seen that, I um, really want to see that. That's a good documentary too. Is it so, about this but, this producer that is, that is like a super confident guy? Yeah, yeah, and he was the one that actually got. He, he eventually worked for Paramount. And he got them to do things like Love Story, um, Rosemary's Baby, Godfather, 
uh you know just Great various movie. different films mm-hmm. and he was kind of like the the miracle boy as it were once he, he was originally an actor and he was just kind of a pretty boy actor and did very few acting roles but um you know his name is i should know this but it says it right in here so i'll take the disc out and i will tell you his name Something like robert town or something no 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 it is um it is uh da, 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 Evans, Bob Evans. No, Bob, Bob Evans. Uh, uh, I was close. Yeah. Hold on so, a second. I so, get, get anyway. the dog in here because he just kind anyway, of so, outside and bark. Anyway. <laughs> we'll be back once the dogs get sent out. In the meantime, <laughs> listen to this. No. <laughs> Uh, kids stays. Sorry about that. I said the wrong name. It's Robert Evans. There we go. So Robert Evans. See, I said Robert Town, right? Yeah. Yeah. I had the Robert part. Anyway, so this is the film. If you can see my, that's an excellent. I really want to see that. That's an excellent documentary. It's usually streaming free nowadays. So I have it on DVD. But you know, I've watched it numerous. I wrote it down. I wrote down the offer, and the kid stays in the picture. Yeah. But somebody told me that somebody based a performance on this guy, um, Robert Town. Is that, what's his name again? Robert Evans. Evans. Sorry, Robert Evans. Yeah. I forgot I... Who, who said it, but they said, I based my performance in this film on Robert Evans or, you know. I thought, and I could be wrong about this, everybody will be watching this, it's not that. No, I, it might've been Wolf of Wall Street, possibly with uh, Leonardo know, DiCaprio yeah. it might be you know because yeah. the the part of the story I didn't tell you that's in that documentary is it takes a very twisted turn that's why it's such a great documentary I mean he starts off and as an actor maybe because a producer and then he gets involved in a bunch of other stuff that's dark and <laughs> I'll leave it at that you know so anyway but yeah it's, I, a, it's an excellent documentary well, I wanted to see the kid stays in the picture and I couldn't find it so i watched other interviews with robert evans yeah. and they're all great yeah i mean he's um you know he, he's kind of like um you know this 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 super enthusiastic guy that is that just you know kind of has all these great bond mots that he comes up with all the time yeah so um kind of like and, don adams and he know? only he only passed away in <laughs> a couple of years ago in 2019 so you know he was around you know it's just you know the last 10 or so years of his life he was pretty much retired you know and old you know and stuff like that so oh, hey maybe <laughs> all dogs gonna be yeah. a seat it's all dogs all the time we should have maybe done this interview when the dogs were on vacation <laughs> it's gonna Um, drive your listeners crazy all this barking so i'll show you some other things that i got okay so i want to thank make sure i put a put a warning contains lots of barking (laughs) well uh one of the episodes i have greg airbar and uh i'm interviewing him about you know just various cartoons and and children's music and stuff like that and suddenly then the dogs here uh start barking at the top of their lungs it was, the, it was the mailman you know and it's like i couldn't get him to stop so i had to pause everything but it, i had already talked to the guy for over an hour and i said mm, natural break so that was part one and it ended with the dog barking and then we started part two so that's He's in the archives <laughs> this happens all day long 
the dumb dog. And when there's two of them, like one will start, the other chimes in. Do you ever get like, any sleep? No. <laughs> no. <laughs> I never sleep. <laughs> All right. So I got these from you. You could tell the story or not, you know, but you got a person's collection from Palo Alto. I'll just leave it at that. And, you know, I, I bought a couple yes. of these. Anyway, my dad said he actually had this one, not this guy's copy, but I mean, he had this one as a kid. This one is uh, because it's from 1947. Uh, it's number nine, Marvel Family number nine. Now, how old would it would your dad have been at the nine? Time? He would have been nine that year. Oh, number nine. Cool. The, the, to show you the difference, this this Captain Marvel is from 1952. My dad would have been thirteen, and not it's into not, it anymore. It's not like what was he not into it by then? It, the only thing he was into really was mad at that point, and um, right. but you know, you know, it his mom my grandmother passed away when he was 12 and so he kind of had to be the head of the household all of a sudden and you know unlike now where people are adult children and they live and breathe and dress like comic book characters (laughs) their whole life uh you know um you know the, the prevailing thought you know in the past was oh you know, I'm getting to be an adult now, you know, it was pretty much 12 was the last year of being a child, you know, it's like, you know, now I'm a teenager, I have to put away childhood things and move on to other things. And so that's what my dad did. If, but, you, you know, if you're Jewish, you get a ceremony, you're a yeah, man now. Yeah, so I mean, we, we, did without, we did it without ceremony, he just stopped, or he did it without ceremony, he just stopped buying comics, except he still bought mad until uh number 24 which is the first magazine issue he stopped because he did not like the magazine <laughs> and I, I i can see his point i mean people love the harvey kurtzman magazines but it is kind of a jarring thing to go from 23 to 24 if you're not expecting it you know so i think i think it got better as a magazine i mean yeah, it took a little yeah. while for the mag because if you look at it now yeah the earliest magazine it didn't quite gel I mean, it was it it was still readable and good, but yeah. it became the man that we know and love, like more around the late fifties, I think. Yeah. You know? it, it well, I think that years. had more to do with Feldstein. I mean, had yeah. Kurtzman yeah. stayed on, it probably, I don't know, it might have continued, but I don't think it would have lasted. You know, it, oh. it is you know, it might have lasted as long. You know, I, I kind of think of uh, Kurtzman like when he did Trump Humbug Help, like. Mad probably would have died if Kurtzman stayed aboard around the same time help ended, you know, about 1965, and that'd probably be the end of it. So Mad would be considered this cult classic from the past. It's all done, you know, and it's like, you know, try to seek out issues. They're hard to find, you know, and it probably would have lasted uh, maybe like 30 or 40 issues because he is having so much trouble getting them out, you know, <laughs> that... <laughs> you know and meeting deadlines and everything like that so you know um, who knows (laughs) something has to be said for the fact that feldstein turned mad into a cultural touchstone yeah this was an important magazine because it told you to beware of the authority figures beware of lies the stuff they're telling you that's not true I mean, this was a very important magazine. It was a huge influence on its readers. I mean, you know, 
some of the great thinkers read Mad as one of their chief influences. Um, and a lot of this has got to be credited to Feldstein. Yeah. You know, as Kurtzman is as wonderful and wacky as he was, um, he didn't capture the cultural zeitgeist like Feldstein did. I don't. And, I don't know if he was really wanting to either. You know, no. it, seemed, it seemed like he was just like, "Let's take this comic book property or this comic strip property and make fun of it." And yeah. That, I mean, occasionally there was social commentary, um, but I don't think that was his goal or intention. It just happened. You know, the Mad became the number one source for that. Like yeah. before, there was a Daily Show. Before there was Saturday Night Live. Yeah. Um, any of that stuff, Mad was the thing. It was the most important magazine for me and a lot of other people too. Yeah. Um, and the groundwork that they did in the fifties seemed like it just set the stage for Nixon coming onto the scene. <laughs> they were ready for Nixon. Uh -huh. I mean, Nixon put Mad on his enemies list, right? Yes. yes. That was like Nixon's number one enemy. This is the guy they peeled the curtain back and they showed you what Nixon was really like. Yeah. And and like you trusted Mad. You didn't trust uh Time, you didn't trust Newsweek, you didn't even trust Walter Cronkite the way you trusted Mad Magazine. <laughs> and they hated Nixon. Yeah, yeah. So it and when you think about it, the magazine hit its peak in popularity as Nixon had to resign. Yeah. So they that magazine, they helped bear him out of the White House. Yeah. It was a very powerful thing. People forget now. They just think, oh, it was funny, whatever. That was more than that. It was yeah. an important magazine. Yeah. You know, it's something that you wanted to read if you wanted to stay current with what was going on. Like right. um, the way you're going to watch, you know, the Colbert now or the Daily Show or, mm. you, know, uh, you know, the late night programs to get uh, – their take on the news events of the day you would read mad to get their take on what was going on at the moment yeah i mean i my book is in the finishing stages so it will hopefully come out this year but um you know the sad part about it is you know they could keep it going but uh and they are but in reprint form but it's like it'll never be the same you know unless you get somebody that could drive it enforce it and hire new talent that is as good as the talent that's all gone from it now <laughs> you know you know and it's like but i think it's almost impossible it's like mad at its place and its day and it's like it really can't come back unfortunately i don't think the, the moment might have moved on for magazines and newspapers you know like that's not the way to deliver the message anymore yeah like you know we love mad because at the time that was the best way to deliver that stuff yeah it, it, it made a huge impression on us the writing the art everything about it was wonderful for us yeah and for now, a long time that wasn't even allowed on tv like uh, right. that's why smothers brothers had so many problems you know it's like they were doing kind of what mad was doing but on tv and then they got fired so it's like um and then you know, Mad did an animated special in 74, which never aired because the networks got nervous about it, you know, and uh, there were other issues that I talk about in the book. And then, um, you know, Saturday Night Live came on and that kind of 
did the first thing that was kind of close to what Mad was trying to do all along. And uh, Feldstein got a little peeved by that because, you know, that was, you know, for years they had been trying to get some sort of Mad thing. A lot of times Gaines would stand in the way and say, I don't want to do this, or I have undue demands about, you know, you know, oh, what a mad show should be like, you know, it's got to be written by our writers and it has to be this way and that way and blah, blah, blah. And most networks are like, eh, we just don't want to bother with you. But hey, there was the Broadway thing called The Mad Show, right? There was. And well, there was actually Mad TV eventually, but, you know, that wasn't oh, really right. close to the, you know, well, magazine. Not, not that wasn't them and it wasn't while they were in their prime anyway. Right, but I've right. I've never seen the Mad Show. I wonder if anyone recorded it. I, I, there's an album, of course. Yeah, but I wonder if anyone did a video of it. That I don't know. I've never. You know, there are a couple other people working on a Mad documentary. I've reached mm -hmm. out to them, but they're a little bit close to the vest of what they have. So you know, they may have discovered some footage or something like that. Uh, you can get the script for the Mad Show. You know, that's orderable. So if you wanted to know what all the jokes were, but they're all kind there's of there's an album, dated. right? They're, yeah, there's an album too. But the, the Mad Show script is the entire script okay. that was done at that time. But, you know, a little bit, uh, quite a bit of it's dated because, you know, it's about topical events from 1965 and 66. So, you know. Um, now, who was in it? That, did they have like Joanne Worley? Uh, who was yeah, everybody show? strangely became famous from it so joanne worley uh was on laughing and uh, linda lavin later was on alice um richard libertini uh he was a character actor he's probably most famous as being in all of me or the in-laws with the original in-laws because they remake everything um as the dictator in the in-laws if you remember that movie um and then there's uh shoot i can't remember oh paul sand who had his own sitcom in the 70s uh made by mary tyler moore productions is paul sand and friends and lovers <laughs> and uh i i seem to be forgetting one other person and it's but um uh yeah everybody went on to greater fame that's the main thing from it <laughs> except for the writers and everything else they just kind of stayed where they were um but oh uh well the the composer of the songs Stephen Sondheim you know he was like oh! one of his earliest things I forgot oh, yeah. Stephen Sondheim <laughs> I forgot songs. just a little thing like that you know he's like, like God <laughs> wrote the music <laughs> I mean oh, I forgot that. you know. that's like that's the guy that everybody like Salah <laughs> Sondheim is like everyone thinks yeah. he's the greatest thing in the well, world you know Mad was kind of uh always in the best place at the best time you know, like, and they got people that, you know, later became more famous regularly. Uh, like another one that's a shocker. You, you've heard It's a Gas, you know, the, yeah. the one that's a little jazz music. And then there's the burps. Um, the one who came up with the idea of doing that and putting it together, Phil Ramone, who ended up producing like all of Billy Joel's albums and everybody else, became a big time producer. And <laughs> at the time, he just thought of this goofy idea feldstein says great let's do it <laughs> wasn't there a different name for it's a gas that was even more gross but they they edited it i don't know 
It was like, wasn't it going to be farting or something instead of burping? Well, I've heard cover versions of it. Dr. Nemeno played one once and they had really nasty sounds. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it wasn't it wasn't done by mad but it was the same song uh like, and i heard was that was a, gonna be farting but then they softened it up and similarly yeah. the finger thing didn't they have it even like more to, like the finger cover where they give you the finger you know yeah wasn't it gonna be like number one in good taste or something well yeah originally the story goes that they were having a meeting about the cover uh -huh. and you know apparently cover meetings weren't always the easiest thing to do i mean if it's like a new movie coming out hey let's make alfred yoda that's easy right. <laughs> you know but when it's um like there's nothing going on what do you want you know and it was nick meglin who became the editor after feldstein left who just happened to just say you know oh, how about this mad number one at good taste you know and he just said kind of off the cuff right. not seriously wanting it to be um a cover uh, and I put quotes from various interviews uh, that have been done over the years there was a big argument about that particular issue uh, whether it would have been better if it had the original quote number one in good taste or what Feldstein changed it to the number one Ech magazine I'm for I think number one in good taste is actually funnier it is. but Feldstein and you'll see the quote when you read the book uh, always defended his thing, saying that uh, uh, his kind of reeled it in and made it a little more self-deprecating. But I think it, in doing that, it didn't make it as funny and made it a little more confusing. So it just looked like, yeah, uh, fuck you, reader. You know, no, go away. Like, you know. We're number one. Yeah. We're number one. Yeah. And that's yeah. like, it's like saying, oh, I get what the joke was supposed to be now. Yeah. Yeah, it's like so. So Feldstein killed the joke. Yeah, unfortunately. And I heard you know, like sometimes he yeah. was able to enhance jokes, but that one he really and and it killed it so much that people wrote in. Some people that was their last issue because they were so offended. Uh, Gaines and Feldstein had to compose a letter, and the letter is kind of valuable now. I think Geisman talks about it in his Mad right. Book about uh, the the letter. Um, how valuable it is because you know not everybody got this letter apology letter you know well let me ask you what's so bad about a finger what's so bad about the well, middle it, it doesn't bother me i mean what, but like what is it what what is it that just this is like this finger's okay this finger's fine yeah, well finger. i mean but this finger yeah i know that oh no well, that's I a mean, horrible yeah, that's can, a bad you, finger you can ask jackie mason on the ed sullivan show what is understand. wrong with a finger i mean oh, i'll give God. you a finger here i'll give you a two here's the three fingers you know and they got banned from the ed sullivan show he showed so. his fingers you can't yeah. this man yeah. showed his fingers and my child was in the room <laughs> i know <laughs> i don't understand Actually, no. that might have been the very first mat I ever saw, but it's not the first one I ever bought. And um, I didn't, because I, had, I, you know, it wasn't that I was sheltered. It's just, I wasn't around people that just flip people off. So, right. it, you know, when I was looking at the cover, I mean, I was like, it looks wrong. Shouldn't it be that? Or I don't know. It's, it just looked wrong and I didn't get it. And then, uh, there's a similar cover. I don't know if you've seen the paperback of Mad Power. There's six fingers on it. It's a fist, but it has six <laughs> fingers. And it's similarly awkward looking. Right. And it's like, 
<laughs> I didn't even realize it had six figures. I just yeah, it yeah, like, yeah. It has power. six figures, and and strangely enough, Mingo Norman Mingo painted both of those covers. So you know, they're just very odd. You know, um, and you know, I guess it's because that wasn't at least for us here in California. It wasn't a common occurrence. Maybe in New York, you know. Mm -hmm. In fact, they talk about it uh, in other interviews that I put in the book. You know, flipping the bird on somebody was like an everyday occurrence in New York. But, you know, um, I will have to say that Mad sometimes was out of touch over the years with various things. That could be one of them where this is not really offensive to New Yorkers, but the rest of the country, oh, you know, it's like, yeah. For me, it was a little bit confusing because I'd never really seen it before, so I had no reason to be offended or not offended. I just thought it was an odd cover to have a close-up of a hand pointing on the cover. And and I, the the number one Ech magazine made it even more confusing. And number one in good taste would have been better. Yeah, I, so I didn't buy it, um, but I wasn't buying Mad yet. You know, I, I think I, you know, I had seen it on the stands um the first issue i always talk about is the one with the don martin character posters on it the mad special now that one that's more accessible when you're seven years old it's like all these crazy drawings of people with floppy feet and goofy expressions and weird sound effects seven-year-olds love that stuff you know? so you know that's he was my first love of mad i had to it took a while for me to get used to the other artists and everything Mad did do some gross out stuff. Like they, yeah. they ran pictures of like, you know, like bodies from Vietnam and stuff at times yeah. or guys shooting up or whatever. Yeah. Like Mad had some really harsh stuff yeah. in kind of the early mid seventies. Yeah. So well, before uh, that finger appeared, there was stuff that kind of offended me as a reader, but I think the magazine Mad should have been fine with saying, okay, be offended. That's fine remember their poster yeah you know their, the their poster has yeah. it's got the n-word on it yeah yeah you can't <laughs> you can't even say that word it's so horrible you can't yeah. say it ironic i think he can refer to it as the n-word you yeah. won't get mad but yeah. it's like it was on the poster and people complained yeah. and it had a bunch of different racial epithets but yeah. the whole point was like you know this some people think america's for everybody except for all these other people so yeah. it's an american flag um, and that was probably a lot more offensive than the finger to, to many people, yeah. right? Well, so I don't understand why they have to apologize for that. I don't know if the flag was as offensive at the time, but they got letters. Was, uh, they got yeah, letters. but I will say this over the years when I was collecting Mad, because that one predates it came out in 71 or 72, yeah, it totally. predates when I started collecting. So whenever I'd look through the back issue bins, I'd find that issue that special. But never with the flag. Never with the poster. I have it, one right here. Yeah, well, now I, have, <laughs> now I have it, but I mean, it took me a long time. So I don't know if people were ripping those things out and throwing them away or putting them up or what they were doing with them. But it's like, you know, a lot of copies out there that don't have that poster. And it's and like, thought they put it up there, but not ironically. <laughs> <laughs> we're proud of this flag. Finally, a flag I can salute. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> but, um, uh so the whole thing about mad is it offended all the right people yeah. and yeah. it's a shame they ever had to apologize to anybody yeah well you know? that, that's why i go through it in the book um so 
like one of the things that upset me later on on mad and this is much later on uh is one issue it was like a couple issues after 9-11 happened and they put a big editorial on the first page saying mad is not going to do any humorous material about 9-11 tragedy and it goes on for like a column and it's like i despise that column and it's not because i want a big mad special devoted to 9-11 and yuck yuck jokes about buildings being knocked out by airplanes i don't want mad to stop be be prohibited of doing anything if if there's humor involved i don't want them i wanted to, to see i don't want them to restrict themselves and at at worst or at best what mad should have done is that they were not going to put any sort of material about uh 9-11 ever is just to not do it and not say anything about it the fact that they put the editorial i found more offensive than had they uh just not ever done material about it because they drew attention to something that we're not going to do you know it's like wouldn't you have loved Dave Berg's The Lighter Side of 9-11. There you go. What's his his character? Like, oh yeah, Roger Kaputnik is in the Twin Towers. You know, it'd be hilarious. They missed out out a bonanza gold mine. The other other thing that offended me in later issues of Man, this is very, very recent is when they started doing the reprints and they do this in the current issues, they have a disclaimer about the material in MAD is from a different era and a different time. So it could be offensive to modern readers and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, if you're easily offended, don't read MAD. You know, put it that way. You know, it's like, you know, I grew up at a time when there's magazines like National Lampoon and worse. And so, you know, it's like, mad was always kind of on the tame side so for anything from the past to be considered really offensive and mad's you know i i talk about this and i talked about this in my crack books and i'm talking about it in the mad book i'm talking about articles that they will probably never ever reprint um the finger cover is one of them they're not going to like be putting that on the cover anytime soon but uh you know there's articles about vietnam especially that photos uh not they're not reprinting it because it's dated as much as it's also pretty offensive some of the pictures it has nudity and you know just graphic whatever and you know it turns my stomach to see that yeah but i uh, I remember when they had uh uh you know so mad special five had the mad flag mad special four had posters that were pretty extreme you know they showed like a druggie with the rubber hose and a needle and stuff like that uh they showed an actual photo of Vietnam with like corpses just strewn yeah. about on a street and stuff like that. Yeah. And I forgot what the phrasing was. It was like, have a nice day or something. And it's like, wow, you know, <laughs> and then the B sides of these posters would be a, like a photograph of Nixon and said, yeah. And then, you know, exactly. some of Agnew, ugh, you know, it'd be all the leaders, you know, Kissinger, ugh, you know, whatever, you know. <laughs> oh, and you know, you know, for sure. Feldstein hate at the mall for sure too. Yeah. So I don't know. It's like maybe they did go for it sometimes, but you know, I I don't think that they should have been sitting there trying to trying to be offensive or trying to apologize to everything. You know, it's like I think 
that at one point they decided that this magazine that was read by is read by everybody. They, yeah. they, they decide this is a kid's magazine now. Yeah. And we're going to do jokes about boogers and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And that's like, the hard you know, part because I mean, when I started reading the magazine, they would do parodies of uh, Death Wish and The Great right. Gatsby films that I wouldn't go see. They're not necessarily adult, but you know, like Dirty, uh, maybe Death Wish, but or The Exorcist, but they're more sophisticated or you know, right. at least not ones you know. And and I noticed Mad didn't parody like Disney films. It's like where's the parody of Herbie Rides Again? <laughs> you know, where's where's the parody of the Apple Dumpling Gang? Well, I realized Mad is not targeting kids when I was that young. Now, or at least in later times, you know, it's like every parody seems to be of the latest superhero movie. Granted, yeah. there are a lot of superhero movies, but there's still other movies that they could have done, like um, that movie Green Card that came out. Green Book, excuse me, Green Card's a different movie. Green Book that came out a few years ago. Or, hid, or Hidden Figures that came out. They didn't do parodies of either of those movies, and they're excellent movies. They're also ripe for parody. <laughs> you know, yeah. you know, there's like they could have had a meeting like chicken and just getting, you know, you know, really obnoxious, you know, with that scene and you know, you know, getting lots of fast food or whatever. <laughs> Okay, maybe we, maybe not. No, just see some horrible at the door. <laughs> anyway, possibly a monster. But, yeah, it's like, and I, you know, I've talked to Tom Richmond about it. You know, how hard is it? It's like he's he's like basically this month I'm doing an Iron Man parody. Now this month I'm doing a, a Spider Man parody. Now this month I'm doing a Captain Marvel parody. Now that you know, it's like in the most recent issue where, where they actually had new material, the parody was of the Batman, and it's like, you know. <laughs> Um, I think one of the hardest things to parody is a superhero movie because it's intrinsically already dumb and par par parody-like in the first place. So. <laughs> that's that's not the type of movie I like to watch anyway. Yeah. You know, like um, I read this also on Facebook. Somebody was reviewing The French Connection, you know? Yeah. And I've seen it a couple times, but in reading this review and I, you know, I'd like to watch that again. It's such a good movie. Like I've seen The Godfather a couple times, but it's such a great movie. Yeah. Happy to watch it again. If I go watch a superhero movie, I feel like I've already seen it too many times, even if it's new. Mm -hmm. If I watch a great movie, I'm seeing new things for the first time. So I'd, I'd rather rewatch a great movie that I've already seen rather than see just about any superhero movie that comes out. I'm not a fan. Yeah. I mean, I love good movies. In, so. Invariably, the 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 superhero movies, with a few exceptions, but invariably, everybody, you know how it turns out. Good guy fights the bad guy, and the good guy wins. You know, it's like, generally, that's the case. I mean, yes, there have been characters that have died over the years, but even then, they'll die, and then the next movie or the next couple movies down the road, they suddenly come back miraculously. You know, it's like... There's not too many characters that stay dead, you know. And it's like the, the battles bore me to tears. Yeah, I mean it's all CGI. Yeah, you're not watching anything at all convincing. Yeah, I mean I'd rather watch like a western or something, or just a movie with regular characters that uses practical effects. Yeah, and you actually feel a sense of danger, like oh, this is a regular human being; yeah. something terrible could happen to them. Mm. And it's like you know a superhero. You know, um, the exception is like Superman, the first couple of films. 
I thought they were so charming that well, you know, they used to do them correctly. You know, yeah, because the whole point, you know, if you look at Superman the mo the movie mainly, not the other ones necessarily, but the first one, there's not that much battle in it, right? You know, it's That's more the worst part. The most boring part of a superhero movie yeah. is yeah. the battles. I and mean, you know, like every film you watch. There's this huge, loud, cosmic thing, this energy coming, and it's all CGI, and it's all the same, and it's all boring, and it's like, I've never, I mean, I've I've seen about 30 of these things, and I didn't hate them, but I also didn't like them, and it's like, why am I going to the movies to see something that's eh, yeah. you know? Like, there's so many films that I just love, 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 and generally, yeah, sorry, but it's not the superhero films. Yeah. And I have I have a fondness for some superhero films, but usually it's if there's a sense of humor. I mean, I showed the Batman figure. Of course, I, I love, love the Batman TV Adam show. West Batman. You know, I'm not a big fan of all the other ones. I mean, I liked the, you know, the uh, the Michael Keaton Batman at the time. But, you know, it's like 30 years later. I'm just like, eh, whatever. You know, I mean, I'm not going to become. Michael Uslan or Andy Andrew Farago's friend, best friend, anytime soon because of just kind of dissing Batman. But it's like, yeah, I just like my Adam West Batman, and maybe the cartoon series that came out in the nineties. The cartoon series is good. Yeah, yeah. because um, it's funny because that thing is like the Fleischer Superman. Yeah. So they made Batman look like Superman, and this, the Fleischer Superman cartoons are wonderful. Yeah, that's some superhero stuff I love. Yeah. Um. Later on, I got into Timothy Burton a little more um, yeah. because I love Pee Wee's Big Adventure. Yeah. And I think he did Big Fish. Yeah. And there is another one. No, his best movie um, is about that B director. What's the name? Oh, of Ed, Ed Wood. Ed Wood's a masterpiece. Yeah. So Tim Burton can be really good. So I like Batman better now than I did at first. At first, yeah. I didn't care for it. I yeah. saw it with Jerry Boyd. <laughs> and Jerry Boyd went and saw it, and neither of us liked it. Huh. And it's funny I, because I, it was a I, huge I hit. I liked it at the time, but I think I was more into like wanting to see a, a good, you know, since superhero movies were few and far between back then, it was actually right. kind of an interesting thing to see, you know. Um, but nowadays, when they put out one or two a month, it's like, geez, give it a rest. <laughs> it's funny because, I mean, I think the superhero movies have enhanced my business greatly because like Silver Age Marvel in particular has never been hotter. You know, it was a little, actually it was a little hotter. It Like the stuff quadrupled and now it's only, you know, doubled or whatever. Mm -hmm. It came down a little, but it's still very high compared to any other year rather than last year. And it's all driven by these properties. So, you know, Silver Age Marvel is the biggest single category of back issue sales, you know, and it's all being driven by these films. Yeah. You know, the, the, the Marvel stuff's just the general public loves it. So I'm an anomaly here. Yeah. But, um, it's actually it's making my career so i like yeah. that aspect well of yeah it. i mean but there's no it's requirement that you have to like it i mean and you're all aware of it anyway i mean it's like for the most part it's not verbatim but i mean a lot of the stories of these marvel movies especially are lifted directly from the comics so i mean you know the gist of the story arc anyway you know i would say but somehow 
Like if you watch, if you watch a Marvel movie, yeah, there's no Kirby crackle. Kirby. They've taken the Kirby out of it. They've taken yeah. the Stan Lee out of it. They've taken the Ditko out of it. There's no Gene Colan. Mm-hmm. I mean, I would have loved if they made these things animated, and they yeah. had a way to make it look like you know Kirby. Yeah, you know, wouldn't that have been wonderful? Like yeah. the best superhero movie. Um, The Incredibles. Mm. That's like the Fantastic Four movie. Yeah, right. If they had done an FF movie like The Incredibles, that would be the best damn thing. I don't know why Disney's not making cartoons out of these things. Yeah, it's like so the live action they lose a whole lot. I mean, it just it doesn't for me. It doesn't translate at all. But. Hell, I'm, what do I know? I mean, the general public just can't get enough. <laughs> like everybody knows, everybody knows the Marvel movies better than I do. Yeah, and everybody I know is a bigger fan than me. Like all my relatives, and so they can't wait for the next Marvel movie to come out so they can be the first <laughs> in line, you know. And me, I just like, no, oh, I'd rather, yeah. I'd rather watch something good. You know? <laughs> like, I'd, I'd rather watch a police procedural or you know just just a drama or comedy yeah. or you know something with actual human beings in it yeah now one movie um that i recently bought on dvd and then i i i've seen it before i liked it and then um you know gilbert godfried and frank uh santa padre used to talk about it all the time on there is dog day afternoon yeah and it, you know it has uh, al pacino and uh the other guy um Casali, yeah, John Casal, um, you know that were together in the two Godfather films, and you know, and uh, unfortunately, Casal had a, a short life, and strangely enough, he only appeared in five films in his lifetime, and all of them were nominated for Best Picture, and three of them won, which is really amazing, <laughs> and only did one TV show. It was an episode of NYPD back in the sixties, and. Uh, it wasn't nominated for an Emmy. That would be a crack up if it was. <laughs> Just, um, and then he he makes a token appearance in Godfather Three, which also was nominated for Best Picture, um, but he was long passed away. So um, I didn't know he was uh, uh, an item with Meryl Streep, and she was by his wow. side when he passed away. I didn't know wow. that. Um, so because I was kind of reading up on him recently, but you know, Dog Day Afternoon, you know, is a totally different characterization than uh what they did in the Godfather movies, yeah. you know, because they're they're more kind of bumblers. I would say Cazal's performance is maybe similar to Fredo in that right. he's kind of a damaged person right. in a certain respect, but still, even his characterization is different than Fredo's. Well, <laughs> That is one of the great movies. You're putting yeah. out a movie that it's like a thousandfold better than any of those superhero films. Yeah. It's it'll like so I'm like I'm a film buff. Yeah. Like I'm a comic book fan. I'm a music fan. I'm a film buff. Um at some point they came out with a list of like the hundred greatest movies of all time, yeah. according to the various critics, right? And I looked down the list, I realized I'd seen 97 of them. Yeah. <laughs> so I tend to seek out films that I consider to be right. of of high quality. I want to see all the best films that I'm usually, yeah. you know, because you can't watch them all. So you it kind of helps to know which ones are good. Dog Day Afternoon is great. Pacino made a lot of really good movies. Yeah. 
the the odd part about dog day afternoon and and similar movies like that um if you've seen it once you know how it comes out so i'm not going to spoil it for anybody who's never seen it but you know it's like it's still intriguing the next time, even though you know how it ends. You know, the first time you see it, you don't know how it ends unless you oh. happen to know, since it's based on a true story, if you know what the true story was. But if you have no clue about what the story is, you know, it's just two guys uh, going to rob a bank, but you don't know how it's going to end. You know, it's here's like, another one, a Serpico. Yeah, yeah. That Pacino, man, he, he is a, he's a good actor. Well, Dog Day and Surfico were directed by the same guy. You know, it's like, oh, so, it? you know, uh, what is his name? I shouldn't. Friedkin. What? No, it's not Friedkin. It's... Let's look it up here. That's why they I keep... heard about Dog Day afternoon. They want to see. I know. <laughs> They're asking for it by name. <laughs> uh, Sydney LeMay. Ooh, you know what? Yep. I sold shirts to Sidley. Yes, Sidney I was Lowe's there. I was there. Daughter. Yes. Uh, uh, Jenny. What was her name? Jenny. Jenny LeMay. Yeah. Um, and I I was talking with her about Sidney LeMay's last movie. Yeah. Was something like, was it For Love or Money or something like that? Um... We'll have to look it up. But his last movie is terrific. And I told her that, and she said, yeah, um, not a lot of people know that. I have watched it twice. I think Mm. it's for love or money. I'll look it up, but I will say, here's movies he's done that are famous, because I won't list all of them, but that are good also. So, Dog Day Afternoon, Serpico, The Verdict. Great movie. Uh, With Paul Uh, Newman, right? Yeah. Another great actor. uh, Failsafe. Network. (laughs) Network is one of the best movies ever made. The (laughs) Pawnbroker. (laughs) <laughs> another great movie you know um and i'm just naming some of them oh, you know, let's it's... get to his last movie though okay what is his last um is it for love or money uh, i don't know let me look because i wanted to see oh tw- here's another one 12 angry men you know <laughs> Amazing. Mur- murder on the orient express Good. you know it's like, <laughs> just just a few casual things that he just happened to do you know it's like so you know it's like everybody always talks about say um you know coppola or de palma or scorsese you know there's a few others in in the same breath yeah okay last film he ever did let's go it was uh before the devil knows you're dead that's the one so everybody that's the tip for you might not know this one it's great um I forget the guy that, that co-stars in it. He died. Um, oh, died. yeah. Uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman, Ethan yeah, Hawke, Marissa Tomei, Albert Finney. And, this is an amazing movie. Yeah, I think I have seen it. Before and the Devil Knows You're Dead. It came I, out in 2007. He died in 2011. So I saw it twice. I loved it. Yeah. So that, again, this is like a thousand times better than... <laughs> well, no, with the exception of Superman 1 and 2. Yeah. Which I love. I love yeah. those movies. I liked Iron Man okay. Um, well, I think they were a treat when they didn't do so many, you know, and also when the effects seemed kind of real, you know, because now everything looks like you, you, you said, oh, it'd be better if they were animated. Well, they yeah. are. They're CGI animated. They're not oh, flat, flat as cell animation. It's, you know, three-dimensional CGI, but yeah, I get it, you know, so. I love The Road Warrior. I mean, not 
I didn't love the new one as much. I, I did dislike, but I just, in the new one, they just went around in a circle. That bothered me. <laughs> it's kind of like Paul McCartney going back and doing the same song again, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, they just, they do, they go in a big, they, they go out and they go, oh, let's go back now. What? <laughs> you can't do that. That's cheating. Well, it, it seems like they don't know what to do with these things. No. They, they just say, oh, we have a property. It's just like, I, you know, I'm so ignorant. I don't even know if it's out yet, but they did this, you know, finally did a sequel to Avatar. I have no interest in seeing it because I didn't like the first one all that much. But the it's first like one, the first one was bad. I mean, it yeah. looked beautiful and the script was idiotic. Yeah, the script was insultingly bad. I don't even remember what it was about. Now, I'm not like I don't dislike Cameron's other films per se. I mean, I yeah. love Titanic. Yeah. And, and he has done some good films. I think yeah, like, Aliens and the Terminator, Terminator movies, the first couple great, of them. Yeah. Great so. movies. But um yeah, but I thought that Avatar had a r- ridiculously stupid plot. It was just insultingly <laughs> bad. And I just I figure Avatar it, it was a hit though, right? The new Avatar was a hit too, right? I don't know if the new one is, but it did come out. So probably I was think, a hit. Yeah, you know, it, it's like always... I have no interest in seeing it. Oh. I've gotten to the point where I used to be curious about these things. Now I don't even care. You know, it's like you know, it's, it's like in it. it I suppose it doesn't help that like you're on social media and and everybody's bad mouthing i was like it's not like the old one or this sucks or blah 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 blah. you know i don't think that necessarily influences my opinions 100 percent because i wasn't planning to see it anyway but and i'd be more surprised if everybody said this new avatar beats the pants off the old one it's the best thing ever like um they did do that with top gun you know they did that more recent top gun maverick now Abby, my wife, she loves the original Top Gun. I don't know if you like it or have you even seen I've it. I've never seen it. Oh, okay. I will say this. The original Top Gun, well, you know, it had a hit soundtrack. You know, there's hit songs that are really good. The first movie is reasonable. It has some good flying scenes if you like to see jets flying around, stuff like that. And, you know, it's a, it's a decent film. Um, but they kept raving as the new one, Top Gun Mavericks, 36 years later or whatever. It's even better, blah, blah, blah. And I said, really? That's that's hard to believe. Um, I will say this. It's not that bad. It's uh, In fact, I would say it is equal to the old one. It, so if you like the old one, you'd like the new one. If you don't like the old one, well, or <laughs> you probably oh, wouldn't I, like the new one. <laughs> I, I imagine I would enjoy that. I mean, everybody, everybody loves it. And, and it's like, again, it's like it's real stuff. Like, yeah. You know, jets and that's what, saves it. that's what exists. saves it. Yeah, I mean, if it's you know, all CGI like, stuff, that's the, that's the, I think what makes it work. Uh, Tom Cruise doesn't get to be really obnoxious. Tom Cruise that most people hate. You know, he's kind of reeled it back a little bit. So it's like, um, you know, he usually does the obnoxious Tom Cruise more in like those Mission Impossible films and things like that. You know, it's like where you're just like, you know, when you're watching. You know, I don't. I don't even mind him because yeah. he's effective. Like yeah. if you look at most of his movies, he gets it over. He gets it across. Yeah. I mean, he's he's no Al Pacino or right. Robert De Niro. He's not yeah. a great or Meryl Streep. He's not a great actor, but he gets it across. He he yeah. delivers. So like I know he's a nut in person, but yeah, I don't I don't really care about that. But my favorite film of his, and it kind of goes against type for what he usually does, is The Firm. So I don't know if you've ever seen that film. uh, You know, because 
it it was finally a film where it's like wow he looks like he's genuinely acting <laughs> you know it's yeah. like um uh, i remember years ago they did a, a parody on saturday night live of the color of money right. of course of course the color of money uh, was about pool but they did it about bowling just to be <laughs> funny and it shows them bouncing a bowling ball like <laughs> yeah. a, a basketball and really stupid them. and it wasn't the real it wasn't the real tom cruise it was just a lookalike but right. he was doing the you know kind of shtick and stuff like that that tom cruise at the time was known for because you know he did other movies like cocktail where he's juggling the bottles and all this stuff you know what i would have done i would have had him sliding in in his underwear with a bowling ball yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, that type of stuff you know so you know what talking about so you know but the firm is is worth watching even if you hate tom cruise so no i mean go. i don't yeah. i don't hate tom cruise no, so. i'm not saying you do but i mean some someone watching might say i can't stand him you know? no, I, mean, like, <laughs> I, I think people and i want to say something about this i think people make a big mistake by worrying too much about uh, an actor's personality you know yeah or a creator's personality i mean as long as they haven't done some horrible crime i mean what's tom cruise's worst crime yeah he's a scientologist he yeah. jumped on Oprah's couch. I mean, you know, <laughs> these things are forgivable, right? Yeah. He didn't murder anyone. Yeah. He's but not a serial rapist, you, right? You gotta <laughs> admit, uh, that there are some stars that just get on your nerves just because they do. You know, they haven't done really anything that has you know been horrible in the public or privately or anything. It's just their general demeanor and personality just like that person again you gotta look at their product yeah I mean, like look at tom cruise has been in a lot of great yeah. movies yeah you know? so if you want to say well i don't like his personality you're gonna miss out on some really wonderful movies yeah and i don't want to deprive myself so no. that's something that that I, you know i don't try to dig too deep into the into the failings of the person as a person because the yeah. one good thing they might have done is create that wonderful artwork for the world, you know. Yeah. Yeah. So, I think you should you should enjoy all that stuff and and understand it came from complicated people that that have yeah. flaws and foibles, but yeah. Yeah. but they did one good thing and let's celebrate that good <laughs> thing. We we can also study their shortcomings too separately, but that the art should be its own separate thing. I always get in these conversations with people like. Like, oh, since this person did that, I don't want it to, like, everyone's canceled now. Everybody. Yeah. yeah. Like, if you go down that route, you know, no Charlie Chaplin, no Beatles. I mean, there's yeah, something yeah, bad yeah. about any creator you can think of. I know. <laughs> so, so don't worry about that too much. Um, yeah. Just enjoy their creations as a separate thing. Yeah. And even if somebody does something bad, you that doesn't mean it's an all or nothing thing. Like, um, you know, let's use like Bill Cosby, uh, you know, it's like, I still enjoy his Warner Brothers albums from the 60s. I think they're fantastic. Um, I still like I Spy. Um, the Cosby show in the 80s, I never was the hugest fan of it. I kind of watched the beginning because I was like Cosby, but I just never, it never really enamored me and so i don't watch it much now you know it's like it's available on dvd now, but it's cosby's, like you know, cosby's you know. a tough one yeah he is a tough yeah, one there, there's a special but, called we need to talk about bill cosby yeah i watched that and it's, it's kind of brilliant and i 
I I gotta admit I haven't returned to any of his stuff. I used to be a huge fan. Yeah. I saw him live at De Anza. Yeah. Um and I I loved his albums. I, I think yeah. Bill Cosby himself is probably the funniest comedy album yeah. I've ever heard. Yeah. But um I have a tough time with him because I believe that Bill Cosby is the biggest serial rapist in history. Yeah. So it's like it's shocking to say. Yeah. Like this is like number one serial rapist so i've got a tough time just chuckling along with a fellow like that it's like if hitler put out a comedy album i don't know if i even if it was good you know the jokes were solid you yeah. know i'd probably have a hard time chuckling along with that you know yeah. so, so that's where that's where i draw the line like a murderer or a serial rapist right yeah. So if yeah. you done murder, serial yeah. rape, then maybe so like OJ Simpson, I would have a harder time. Like so he's watching an OJ Simpson roast and thinking he was a swell guy. You know, now I might watch yeah. it as kind of like an interesting, like, oh my yeah. goodness, like you know, now but I mean, you know, know like this guy. I've seen the naked gun movies since he, everything went down. I have too. Like that, you know, well, and it's like I go, Well, you know, he's there. There he okay. is. I've seen Capricorn one too, and it's like, oh, there he is again. You know, it's like I, I I can still separate it enough. But you know, on Cosby, yeah, it's a difficult one, but I still um there's something magical about those sixties albums. Since I already own them, I'm not giving the guy any more money, you know. Right. <laughs> you know, so I have no problems. To, you know, the sticking point is, of course, the last album he did for Warner Brothers. He has the Spanish Fly skit on it, which, but that album's not that good anyway. So I don't listen to that one as much anyway. I mean, it's like it's the earlier '60s albums where he's talking about being a kid. You know, he wasn't a rapist when he was a kid, but at least we don't think so. So it's like no. I think that kind of removes it i don't think he started doing all that stuff when he until he went uh on i spy and started traveling the world you know i think that's where it kind of started you know it's like which is not an excuse for it it just means that that's you know you know i i, I can enjoy the material that came out prior to that easily because he wasn't doing it then even if the seed already could have been already planted in his head you know so well obviously i mean he had he was a completely different guy than he portrayed himself to be. Yeah. He was a huge hypocrite because yeah. he showed himself like to be a guy that didn't even like cursing. He yeah. didn't like guys that wore the pants bag yeah. or whatever. He yeah. was America's dad. Yeah. And it turned out America's dad was a rapist. Yeah. I think that's the big slap well, in the face on the whole that's thing. Like, so he, he was the most hypocritical guy because he was just a really filthy horrible guy yeah he acted like he was mr clean he acted the opposite so the one thing if you're going to listen to one thing you should listen to spanish fly because he describes going to get a date a date rape drug yeah he sugarcoats it yeah you know but it's like this is where he kind of tips his hand a little bit it's very very interesting from that perspective i gotta call the dog in again <laughs> okay, come. Come yeah. on. Right, get in here. See, he was whining to go out. He goes out, all he does yeah. is work. <laughs> that, that. Um I mean you know, the 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 thing what was the thing I was gonna say about him? Um blah 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 blah. Oh crap. I can't remember now. Um oh I know. It's like so you read Playboy in the seventies, I'm sure I did too. Yeah, and I collected it's like it. they always had 
like uh, the Playboy forum or whatever it was at the front, yeah. you know, yeah. where they'd show what's going on in the world of Playboy and they'd show yeah. pictures and photographs of the Playboy Mansion. And invariably, Absolutely. they'd have a picture of Cosby there at the Good Playboy Mansion. You know, and this was all during the 70s. And it's like, this guy's married with five kids. Why is he at the Playboy Mansion all the time? Now, I've had arguments with people. It's like, oh, the Playboy Mansion is well-to-do and blah, 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 blah. And I go, that's not the point. It's like, what is he doing there? It's like, you know, I can't say that, uh, you know, everything at the Playboy Mansion was decadent or uh, sickeningly sweet. But, you know, it just seemed odd to me even as a kid, when I'd see photographs of him every month being at, you know, and here's Bill Cosby at the Playboy Mansion hanging out with today's centerfold, you know, and it's like, you know, I just thought that was really odd. So maybe that's why it doesn't bother me as much as it might be, or a startling revelation as other people. I'm not saying it's right. I'm not saying I totally enamored with the guy. And it's like, oh boy, I got to get more stuff by him. It's just that it, 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 it wasn't as much of a shock when it started coming out, I well, think. Out, um, you know. There's a very, one of the greatest like biographies I've read is Thy Neighbor's Wife by Gay Talese. Mm-hmm. And it's all about Hugh Hefner. Yeah. And um, it's a very interesting thing because Hefner um, would basically, he would get these young girls and it, 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 it put them in the centerfolds. Then he'd invite them over to the Playboy Mansion. Yeah. And he would romance them. Mm-hmm. And that would be basically you're looking at Hefner's girlfriend for a month. Yeah. Right. And there was also a situation at the mansion where he had these bunnies hanging out. And um, this is basically like a harem. Yeah. And they were like, they were, they were expected to perform, you know? And um, if they didn't, they'd get shoot out and they'd get replaced, you know? And so that's why Cosby was there and a lot of other people too. Um, it's really kind of like if Hefner had lived a little longer, there would be a lot of inquiries about this Probably. because I mean, Hefner, he made it seem like it was all a wonderful thing. Yeah. And I want to say that, that Hefner achieved a lot of great things too. I mean, the magazine had literature and it was progressive and it's political views and whatever. And he had great music and great art and all of that stuff. Yeah. But at the same rate, it really kind of, you know, it really kind of took advantage of women. You know, it, it kind of played these women and they just turned them into kind of like objects for pleasuring men. And yeah. Cos- so Cosby and Hefner, similar thing. I mean, yeah. Cosby did it like a push button approach. Hefner did a little more scientifically. They're both doing the same thing. Yeah. Now, guys will make excuses for this because they want to be like Hefner. Mm. They, they probably don't want to be like Cosby. <laughs> Hopefully, yeah. maybe yeah. they do. Maybe some of them do. But Hefner, like everybody, like guys think it's just wonderful to be a player or whatever. But the way Hefner played these women, it wasn't on the up and up. You know, it's like, you know, just as a human being, I'm thinking it's kind of rotten what was done to these people. Yeah. And he, he could get away with it. It was a different era. But things are changing, you know. Um, Hefner could not have gotten away with that now. So 
that's another guy that should be carefully studied. And a lot of people are going to say he's just all evil. Yeah. Um, but, you know, just like Cosby did some entertaining stuff, right? He was not just a pure monster. He couldn't have gotten away with that without having talent, too. So yeah. to explore the whole guy is fascinating. Yeah. I guess the main deal, and I had this conversation with Nick Santa Maria, who's been on the show before, you know, I said, well, you know, Bob Hope got away with murder because, you know, all the stuff about him came out after he was dead. And he says, well, there's one key thing. He didn't rape anyone. And I said, that's true to an extent because we don't know if he did (laughs) you know it's like honestly it's like that stuff may not have come out we don't know for sure i mean i guess it is for sure on cosby so that's what the the deal is there you know and it's like you have to make a choice based on that it's like will i uh still be entertained by material that was done by a rapist that might he might have been doing it at the same time i was watching electric company or uh watching the cosby show or i spy or listening to these albums i don't know you know it's like that's your choice i mean i wouldn't push yeah. it one he way wasn't there. doing it on the album for me, so, yeah for me i, I it's yeah. like i kind of like i have this icky feeling about him so i just kind of avoid him yeah. now I, I'm, I'm really disappointed in the guy i'm totally <laughs> disappointed too yeah, really uh, i will say a flippant thing that's actually kind of true um it did give me a chance to upgrade the old albums because everybody turned them into the thrift <laughs> shop now you know by the way i have i have serious radio and i have the comedy stations on all the time they hmm. never play cause i remember they used to though remember all the they time used to. yeah you, you told me that they used to and it's like you know but that was before 2018 I mean, no, he, they, was, he was on, um, you know, before all everything broke loose, he was on Jimmy Fallon's Tonight Show. I saw and, Michael Bear. Yeah. And, uh, you know, he wasn't particularly funny. He was kind no. of odd. You he know, it's like, I think he's, he's gone a little bonkers, you know, and it's yeah. like, you know, it has nothing to do with rape. I think he's just you know dementia is kind of kicking in i mean i've heard recently he wants to come back onto the stage it's like give it a break you're 85 years old geez you know it's like regardless of anything he doesn't need to prove anything one way or the other you know it's like you should just hang it up and call consider it done you know it's well he's a little bit like jerry lewis i mean yeah like even back when he was like hosting the tonight show for johnny carson he'd be a little bit weird at times like you did like okay, this is going to be super funny, uh, Bill Cosby, and then it'd be super serious, Bill yeah, Cosby. Yeah, yeah. You know, so at times he was like, he'd be like, just, but but everybody loved him so much they mm-hmm. just forgave anything he did, even raped. Yeah, it's yeah. the cause, I guess. Oh, well, I guess you know, that was, raped, one, that was one thing, that, so much that's, one thing said, <laughs> that's one thing Nick said too. He said, you know, it's like he was doing stand-up comedy back then. He says, well, we all knew he did it. It's like, but nobody turned him in. Nobody said anything. You know, it wasn't until that Hannibal Buress, uh, you right. know, stand-up piece where he decided to out him on it. You know, right. it's like, you know, but you know, that's kind of funny, you know, because you know, so that everybody knew this way back as far as the seventies. You know, it's like that—that's what he was doing, and it's like, wow, you know. And then there's Louis C.K. Yeah, I mean, we haven't heard a lot from him, and no. <laughs> it was not as bad, but it's no. still disgusting. Yeah um well there's a lot of people some we haven't heard of you know like one day um i uh this is a thrift shop thing too uh i bought an album by rolf harris 
and it was in mint 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 condition and he's most famously known for timey kangaroo down sport in this country okay. uh he's more well known in australia anyway i was going why is this mint 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 i said oh i haven't heard of this guy for a while and so i decided to look him up on wikipedia and i was like oh my god <laughs> it's like no wonder i found this album you know so look up Rolf ferris i forgot exactly what he did but it's not not pleasant uh there's also an episode of muppet show which is not readily available on, he's on there disney plus no it's a different uh comedian i forgot his name but he's not in the run on disney plus of the original muppet show because he did some nasty things well, i heard about that are either rapists or they're pedophiles and it's like oh god you know uh-huh. it's like yeah what, what public figures have had the biggest fall from grace i'd say cosby's the biggest oj simpson um cosby's probably the biggest only because he he presented himself as america's dad like you said yes. i never bought into it so maybe that's like i said i don't think it bothered me so much when you know because i said i thought he was full of shit then (laughs) you know it's like you know uh because i had seen i had been disappointed by cosby many a time it was like because he would make movies and you like you said you know he's hosting tonight's show he's gonna be funny and then he'd be serious cosby um, He'd be smoking a cigar and just yeah, being completely yeah. serious. And uh, you know, humor? it's like I'd see movies like California Suite, and it'd have Richard Pryor and, and uh, Bill Cosby. And said, "This is going to be funny." It's Neil Simon. Boring. I, you know, I, I think California Suite, Suite's like one of the dullest films. You know, and and you know, it's just Cosby would make dull film after he was never a big big star. Did he ever make a what is is there a good Cosby movie? Like even probably, one? if I had to choose one, I'd probably say the piece of the action, the one with Sidney Poitier. It's probably okay. just because of Poitier. And yeah, then they Portier did a sequel. They did a sequel called "Let's Do It Again." Is Jimmy Walker yeah. in it? But I think it has more to do with Sidney Poitier than anything yes. Cosby. Cosby was inconsequential. He just happened to be in the film. You know, it's like uh, so. <laughs> And it's not as Cosby starring. Yeah, Disney. Uh, I, I mean, uh, Cosby did a Disney film called The Devil and Max Devlin. And it's like, uh, you know, it's kind of an interesting movie to see now because Cosby plays the devil. Uh, long out of print on DVD, by the way. <laughs> and, uh, but Elliot Gould is, it's kind of a Faustian thing where, you know, Elliot's trying to, you know, trade his soul for talent or whatever like that yeah, you know based on the devil and daniel webster an earlier film yeah i think so but you know yeah. the original is probably like faust which is like right. you know right musical from centuries ago so you know but it's all based on the thing you know selling your soul to get some sort of talent you know or money or something you know it's like that's right. the whole basic theme you know and of course cosby played the devil and you know he shows his true colors by the end of the film i'm like i don't have a problem with spoiling this one because most people probably won't go see it and you know but you know it's like cosby is like his kind of smarmy kind of sleepwalking way through the film and it's just like is this a disney kids film you know it's like i think i think we need to call david packard and tell you know when he reopens the stanford to a cosby be film festival and hell <laughs> oh yeah bill cosby coming <laughs> first right oh, right boy. you fly him in <laughs> packard and love it 
Uh, Let me line up around no. the block to see this. The Bill Cosby Film Festival. Yeah. They can have Cotton Comes to Harlem. Uh, what is it? Edward Part 8 or something like that. Yeah. Well, Leonard Part 6. Leonard yeah. Part 6. And, and Ghost Dad. That's one of them. Yeah, that'd be awesome. <laughs> made wonderful films, you know. So that's what I'm saying. Like. theater's empty now. Wait till you see this. <laughs> <laughs> Even even Packard wouldn't be in his normal seat. I was wondering, yeah, I, I was. If you had a theater like like the, the dining thing where we saw Godfather two, if yeah, they show if they showed a Cosby film, if anybody would show up. No. <laughs> oh, and you know what? Like the, the what they would serve there is roofies, <laughs> some some roofies. But um, I would love to have a theater. Yeah. Um, if I had, if I was a billionaire, yeah. I too would have a theater. Yeah. Uh, I'd call it the Leisure. Leisure. <laughs> the Leisure. Not the Hester. Yeah. Remember that's in San Jose? The Hester. There was a Hester. Yeah, theater. Yeah. <laughs> it's now called the Lark. Yeah. Yeah. They yeah. changed the name, but I've seen pictures of it. Yeah. I would, I would try to rebuy that yeah. and change it back to the Hester because that's in the Hester district mm-hmm. of San Jose. Mm-hmm. Like Hester, you know, helped found San Jose. But um, yeah, I would have my own theater for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, but it'd be a little different than Packard's because I'd have one movie and have yeah. cartoons and a bunch of shorts. Yeah, I, I, I love I should, its double features. I should say here that David Packard's theater is a Stanford in Palo Alto. Anybody who has never gone to it, it, it only was open last summer when I was here. Apparently, it's closed again for renovation. So I don't right. know what he's currently doing. But um, yeah, I'm I agree sure with you. I, the the my problem with I, I love the Stanford. I love what he shows. My only issue with it is he has this arbitrary cutoff date. Uh, I think the most recent film he's ever shown is uh, again Sidney Lumet's uh, uh, Murder on the Orient Express, but which is 1974. But most of the time, the movies stop at the end of the 60s, and I think you can play more recent stuff. Um, I'm not saying he has to. The other, the other thing is he tends to avoid comedies a lot. I mean, I have seen the W.C. Fields there. I have seen uh, Marx Brothers there. But he doesn't play him as often as I would like. Um, and he also tends to avoid cartoons. Right. You know, it's like uh, he could play the early Disney film, a Snow White or a Pinocchio or something like that. Fantasia would be wonderful in there. You know, it's like, uh, but, you know. I think he's he 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 plays what he likes, you know, which is yeah, fine. He's a no, I mean the Stanford, he can do whatever he wants, but you the know. Stanford is there to make him happy. Yeah, because he he has enough money that he could, um, you know, he could have his own theater yeah. and so. But he wants to have a live audience, like in the old days. Yeah, uh, as long as they behave themselves. Yeah, you know. Um, but what I would do is I'd do it more like they used to. And I'd play a movie, a serial, a short feature, a cartoon, yeah. you know, um, news on the march, you know, I'd, I'd have a lot more of that kind of stuff. I might have like people come out and like maybe do some singing or something. Like, have, like, like, like vaudeville. <laughs> yeah. I'd have like yeah. before the show, I get like a local vocal talent because it, it's downtown Palo Alto. So you have a lot of bars there with good singers and stuff. I'd have a nice um, 
singer and I'd have the uh, the the pianist or organist accompany them. There'd be a little spotlight on them. I'd do a song or two, maybe yep. some contests or whatever. I have cartoons and whatever. I'd have days where kids can come in for like five bucks and sit in there all day. There'd be short features all day, maybe on Saturday mornings, whatever. So I do a variety of things. And I'd also play a much wider spectrum of film too. Yeah. You know, I love everything he does, though. Don't get me wrong. This, I, I consider the Stanford to be the best theater on earth by yeah. far. But if I had my own, it'd be done more the leeway, you know. <laughs> um, and I'd do it for fun. I mean, that's like if I just had buckets of money, I would have a theater just for fun. And I just have one rule. No GG. No, just kidding. Oh, Gigi. He loves, <laughs> no, I, I don't dislike Gigi. It's just I noticed he loves playing Gigi. You know, oh, he has his favorite yeah, films and he yeah, plays them yeah, over and over. Yeah. <laughs> and some of his some of his favorite films are some of my favorite films too. Yeah, I'm not like, knocking Gigi. No, it's just I, I, I just noticed his propensity for playing it a lot. So let's share um, favorite movies. You first. Um well I always say my favorite of all time is Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. Oh from 1971 and when people say is the original and it's the only one called Willy Wonka so the other one's called Charlie um should I just name off like random ones I know I'll take that as your favorite because I'll tell you my favorite so you get a feeling of like singing in the rain yes that's my favorite movie and that's up there that's it's one I really like too um uh let's see if i just went through the decades um wait hold know, on a, hold on just one okay moment. keep going but i can hear you okay um you know i have like the classics that everybody <coughs> likes wizard of oz and things like that um uh going into the 40s casablanca so see, um, i got this oh i saw that your house. yeah that's how much i love it i got one from uh uh, American in Paris. It's just is that for, original. Uh, That's an original. This is Bob, a repo. Bob. Oh, it's the a repo. Two hundred fifty. I have an original um, American in Paris that I just love. Oh, okay. And let's see. I, you know, I, I, am enjoying the Godfather films, especially the first two, more than I used to. I think I used to think that they're a little bit more overrated, but I think as I've watched them over again. They're really darn good films. I see um, a small glare. But look, look at what he's doing there. Yeah. That's the hardest dance to do because he's throwing a foot and an arm down. Yeah. On opposite sides. He stays mm-hmm. aloft. Yeah. Now, Gene Kelly, so, um, he really turned dance into fine art for the movies. Yeah. Um now I have both of those films, but I still, in certain way, and this is where we differ, which is fine. Um, I still prefer Fred Astaire, but I think it's just for the gracefulness of Fred Astaire. You know, it's like Gene Kelly kind of comes across as a little bit, you know, when he's say, you know, which is not necessarily a bad thing. It's just different. You know, well, Gene <laughs> Kelly turns it into noir. I yeah. mean, he makes yeah. it into, he puts a lot. Gene Kelly um, is kind of like Sinatra. Yeah. You know, uh, Fred Astaire is kind of like a Bing Crosby. Yeah. So, I mean, I love Fred Astaire and Bing Crosby, but I think the Frank Sinatra and Gene Kelly, they made it, they made it into more of an art form Yeah. because they put the darker tones in too. Yeah. 
So they they made it more masculine as well. Yeah. I mean, it. it but like it, I said, I I own those two films that you showed. Um, <laughs> I've seen Brigadoon more than a couple times. Uh, it's not as good. It's not as good, but I've seen it. Uh, I've even seen Xanadu, and I actually enjoy that film. I, never, I gotta see it. And he I've wasn't supposed. That. He wasn't supposed to dance it. He says, "I'm not going to dance it. I'll be in it, but I'm not going to dance." He dances so. Yeah, now you, see, now, you, now you have to see it for two reasons because Olivia Newton John died, and because um, uh, the a bass guitar player, uh, Anderson uh, of the Tubes, died, and they're both in the film. So, there that's that's the reason that's the reason to see uh, Xanadu. Xanadu has a bad rap for being a really bad, but there's, there's some good stuff in it, you know. You know, a couple more great Gene Kelly movies on the town. Yeah. Uh, Frank Sinatra in it as well. Mm-hmm. And The Pirate. Yeah. With Judy yeah. Garland. Fantastic. Yeah. So there's four really great movies yeah. right there. there. There's more than that, too. Like Cover Girl, Rita Hayworth. Yeah. Um, a lot of really great. And I've seen all the Fred Astaire movies, too. Yeah. I don't like them as much. I love yeah. them, but I love the Gene <laughs> Kelly one even more. Yeah. For me, that's that's the perfect combination of things yeah um i tend to go after stars more than films but geez i like you know it's like so i got a collection of rita hayworth films and it it goes all the way from like really obscure nothing b pictures that she did for columbia to like the last one is pal joey which has sinatra in it and stuff i haven't seen that i I don't know if i've seen pal joey but it's like I'm going through the films. It, it does have uh, The Lady from Shanghai, which I've seen zillions of times. does not have Gilda in the collection, but I have Gilda. Gilda's anyway. amazing. Yeah. So. Like that scene where she just turns and I zing. It's like, yeah, yeah, oh yeah. my God. It's like, it's like the most beautiful woman you've ever seen in your yeah. life. Yeah. But even the minor pictures that she did, you know, are kind of interesting. I always like it when I discover, I don't know if you're this way. It's like uh, discover an old black and white film that wasn't like, people raved about so it's not well known and it turns out to have kind of a really interesting story it just was like kind of an also ran it wasn't necessarily a flop it just was kind of lost in the shuffle of you know it's not one that's been pulled out and revered like even like uh, it's a wonderful life originally was kind of lost in the shuffle and then after repeat exposure on tv suddenly now everybody reveres it as being the greatest movie ever i don't think that's the greatest movie ever but i like it you know so well check it out i went to the stanford one time Mm. and i saw a film it starred warren william yeah and um is about a guy that was in charge of a big um department store and it had Loretta Young in it too. Yeah. And I had never heard of this movie before. And it's one of the greatest movies I've ever seen. And um, I'm blanking out on the name of this thing. But yeah. then I went, I realized Warren William, no one's, most people haven't heard of him. Yeah. He made these, some really great pre code films that are just like yeah. fantastic movies. Like one is like skyscraper souls. Yeah. Well, I think um, you and I went to one that mouthpiece. had Barbara Stanwyck in it, you know, when she was young and stuff. Yeah. Like the that. mouthpiece yeah. is another yeah. one. I'm yeah. trying to, yes, that had Barbara Stanwyck. I'm trying to think of this movie because I just loved it. I think maybe I took yeah. it to you to, to yeah. I took you to it again. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think you had already seen it 
and you you know you said you got to see this film and so i said okay and i do I like that guy and he's you know he's like, William, amazing you know, um I'm trying to but think you know, certain cer- that happens to me a lot. Is certain actors or actresses both? Uh, you know, they don't seem to impress me when I first yeah. encounter them, and it's usually because uh, a lot of actors I've encountered at the tail end of their career first. You know, Barbara Stanwyck's an example. You know, I think mm-hmm. I knew her from the Big Valley first, and so I thought, no, oh, she's no good. And then, you know, I started seeing a lot of her early pictures, and she, wow, I like her. You know, she's in Christmas in Connecticut. She's in a lot of other things, and it's like, you know, you know so, um, yeah, there's just a lot of stuff. Uh, I can't even, you know, I, as far as cartoons go, I love Dumbo. I love Yellow Submarine. Uh, as far as comedies go, uh, I had the big long podcast with Nick Santa Maria about my favorite comedies, like my favorite Avon Costello's Little Giant, which is not necessarily raved at the that time. One. Um, but I like it because of the he's a sales salesman trying to sell vacuum cleaners. You know, it's just odd, you know. But I still like the good classic ones like Abbott and Costello, Meet Frankenstein, and things like that. And, um, I finally saw that one. So, uh, trying to think what else. Oh, here's here's the name of the film: Employees' Entrance. I remember that. Yeah. And what I love about it, he plays a rotten scoundrel who remains a rotten scoundrel to the very end. Mm -hmm. He's he's a very entertaining rotten scoundrel. Right. Because he's very quick witted. Yeah. Uh, He's completely ruthless. Yeah. And stuff happens in this film that you'd be shocked at because like, wait, this this can't happen. It happens. Yeah. So you know, uh, you know what films like that too? Uh the man who came to dinner. And you know, no, uh what's his name is uh Monty Woolley. He's kind of a jerk, but he's charming too and has a quick right. wit too. So you kind of excuse that, even though you know, you don't want to like him, but you know, you tend to like him because he says some funny things. So you know, it's Monty Woolley. I don't <laughs> think know. I've seen that one. It's it's a familiar title. Really? Oh, okay. I know that at the Stanford he has like one of those lobby cards that's long and skinny of it. You know, those. You know. Those... You should move back to the Bay Area when they redo the Stanford. We'll go to see all those movies. There you go. In a theater. I know. I got that in Oregon. <laughs> they did have one up here that did like show. I know, but it closed. It closed. It also closed. And I was like, because you didn't have a billionaire in China. Yeah, I know. It's like uh, the pandemic closed. It is. So I don't know if they're going to come back with anything. But currently, in the uh, Oregon area where I am at uh, Springfield, and Eugene, there's no theater that shows old stuff. Yeah, <laughs> because it's it's see that's the reason I don't have a theater is is because I'm not a billionaire. Yeah. Now, if you want to play old movies, you're going to go broke, unless you have a lot of money. Yeah. So <laughs> I would do it just for fun. I mean, yeah. that's why Packer does it. He does it for fun. Yeah. Like a lot of times, he'll get a movie and he'll say, "We just restored this film. What did he spend to restore this film?" And you got like ten people in the theater, hundred fifty thousand dollars. Yeah. To restore a film so ten people can see it. 
Well, I think those not cost-effective. Well, I think those restorations actually do go on to become the Criterion releases on DVD and Blu-ray. Okay, releases. well, how about he uh, spends ten million dollars to get his like his Wurlitz or upgraded? Does that seem well, like no? Prudent, I mean, I'm not saying he doesn't business spend big, big, investment. No, no, no. he's he's. <laughs> He's just spending frivolously on money that he doesn't need to keep. You yes, know? <laughs> you can only do it's that. It's a write-off. It's a business write-off. You so you cannot can be... be a mere millionaire. Yeah. You have to be a billionaire yeah. if you want to entertain. <laughs> I know that. <laughs> like, have something. No, look, you could have some ramshackle little theater. Yeah. I love the idea that it's a guerrilla theater with sofas, and you serve booze and food and all there to get extra money, yeah. and you do all this nutty stuff, and you get people in there somehow, and you do it on a shoestring. That's possible. Yeah. You want to have a palace like the Stanford? Yeah. You know, you're going to need, you're going to have to be very wealthy. Yeah, because the, the ones that closed in Oregon here, they were the Regular ones on the shoestring ones. Regular people. They serve, they serve beer and food and everything. It was yeah. really cool. But then as soon as the pandemic happened, you know, uh, and that was the end of that. And it was no, like, I mean, like, damn it. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I talk, actually talk to people. I love the idea of opening the theater so much that I talk to people in the know and they all talk me out of it. Yeah. Like, well, they, I mean, the, the, one broke that, if you the, do one, it. the one that's done in Southern California, of course, he's very wealthy. Quentin Tarantino, he has, he plays, uh, films down in southern california it's not just grindhouse films he shows old classic films as well so it's like you know now i don't uh, know if you know this but he also does a podcast yeah about the old video store that he used to work at Mm -hmm. and what he does is he reviews movies he would have had at video cassette at the old video store he worked at (laughs) he does this with his co-worker and co-founder of the video place and they kind of like do an um ebert and siskel on these mm-hmm. movies it's fascinating mm-hmm. so check it out quentin tarantino's podcast okay. about old because he just loves the stuff i yeah. mean yeah. he's got enough money he's been successful enough he can do a passion project yeah. obviously his theater's not up there to make money nor right. is this podcast where he just talks about old exploitation right. films yeah uh so we've been talking for two hours on over random stuff all over the thing not and, uh, barely touched on uh, comics i know yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's fine uh, to to quote the late great uh, uh gilbert godfrey actually it was frank santavadro he's like we barely scratched the surface but i don't know if we really had anything specific in mind we're just gonna well, i was hoping on. for a gilbert godfrey introduction he had his own comic He book had store. his own comic store for <laughs> he was thirty-eight years. He was written up in the Metro, <laughs> in the Mercury News, in the San Francisco Chronicle. He featured Gus, Judges Carico, Neil Adams, Alex Ross, Paul Dini. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like i don't need a, like a half hour long yeah. introduction a la gilbert and, and then the ending found dead in his los angeles apartment <laughs> it's like, but yeah. like but lee like like why did you do it because chico needed the money <laughs> Chico needed the money. Yeah, I'm gonna start appropriating what... all all the phrases that used to be on the gilbert godfrey show i'm stealing them they're mine <laughs> Anyway, you know, I think about it, that every day. Well, why did you do that? Because Chico needed the money. The money. <laughs> That's why I do everything. <laughs>
Well, um, like I said, we usually end the show with a plug or two. So what do you want to plug? Okay. Making so, any appearances, a website, you're selling comics. Well, nowadays I'm doing a thing called the Berkeley Comic Con. And the next show, and I'll hold on just one moment. I believe it's March 5th. You, you're having me come down. That is da- correct, but I have a visual. You're having me come this. down. Oh, a visual too. Okay. It's on March 5th. And the great thing about that is my dear, dear friend, Mark Arnold, will be joining me at the booth. So if you actually want to meet me in person, I'll be yes. a bikely. <laughs> you could meet both of us and you could like be part of these wonderful conversations could, just like the one we're doing. You could get comics like this. <laughs> now that comic was interesting because that was a customer of mine. He's now in his late 80s. And he was a weekly customer at Lee's Comics in Mountain View. And he bought those comics when he was like 10. And he kept them in perfect condition. Mm-hmm. Like, that's a beautiful comic. That's one of the low-grade ones, and it's still yeah. beautiful, right? Yeah, I mean, there's some writing here, that. but I, I, I'm one that uh, this this uh, grading of G isn't bad for me. Yeah. Oh, it's beautiful. It's complete. <laughs> but anyway, he kept all of his comics, and a lot of them are fine, very fine. Original owner stuff from the 40s. Yeah. Never been on sale, never been up on some dealer's wall fading and whatever. He kept them in boxes. Um, so they're sealed up, no bags, but sealed in a box. And I went over to his house, and his house is in Palo Alto, right across the street from Carberley, the high school that I went to as a child. And the whole place is dedicated to comics and other collectibles. And I bought out all his comic books. So finding an original, and he had nearly complete run of Captain Marvel. Walt Disney Comics and Stories, a lot of other things, too. Um, so it's just a wonderful collection. And when I can get stuff like that, I'm thrilled. And even the more so because he was the original kid that bought these comics. Like on Walt Disney Comics, those were his subscription copies. So it has his name on every on printed on the back of each copy. These are from the 1940s. So people think you can't get original collections like that anymore. Mostly you can't, but now and then you can. And when yeah. you do, yeah. it's amazing. <laughs> so that you got a little piece of something wonderful there. Yay. That should be the last thing that goes when you sell, sell. Yeah, yeah. Of course, um, when you sell, you'll probably sell to me. So, Of course. Anyway. Uh, <laughs> and what's your website? How do people get? Oh, so the best way stuff? to... What I do for a living, if you don't know, I used to have comic book stores, but now I sell vintage comics on eBay. So if you go to eBay, and of course, we have ads on the Mark Arnold Radio Hour, so you can listen to the ads to respond to this fine program. But uh, go to eBay and just search for Lee's Comics, Inc., with a period at the end. And we have over 10,000 vintage books available. And we also buy. If you have old books and you want to get top dollar for them, get in touch with Mark or me, you know, and uh, and I'll buy them from me. I'll the make it fun here. and easy. <laughs> um, do whatever you do. Don't sell till you get the Lee offer. Yeah. Get the Lee offer. Get everybody else's offer first. I don't mind, but don't sell till you get my offer too, because <laughs> I can usually beat all the other offers because 
I specialize back issues. It's my thing. Cool. All right. Well, I will be seeing you in March. But it's been great talking yes. to you again tonight. Great comic show. I will be going to the comic show. And if anybody wants to see me in the Bay Area, yeah, I'm taking adding a couple extra days on both sides. So I will be around for a few more days. You can meet Arnold in person. There we go. And uh, this isn't the last Fun Ideas podcast, but it is episode 200. So next time will be number 201. I don't know who I planned yet. I I have an idea, but, you know, we'll talk and find out soon. But uh, And I'll, I'll see you back on issue 400. What? I'll be back for 400. Yeah, it's number 400. Yeah, it's a plan on it. in your calendar. I'll be about 90 years old by that. Hi, <laughs> No. Actually, that's about four years from now, if I do it correctly. Oh. Yeah, it's like, because or I do know it. it about 50 episodes a year it's give or take so you know Excellent. So you, there you, you gotta go. have your like your giant anniversary see this one was like extra length yeah right? it you is normally yep. do an hour right yep yep this so is this is two, a jumbo anniversary for 200 right exactly <laughs> jumbo size and all we right that's really the surface <laughs> I barely scratched my, <laughs> my I barely scratched the red. <laughs> All right. Well, I will see you next time. And this has been Mark Arnold and Lee Hester on the Fun Ideas Podcast. And we'll talk to you soon. Bye. Thank you for listening and thank you, Lee Hester, for being my special guest. Remember you can always watch the video version of this episode on YouTube. Episode number two oh one will be coming soon. If you would like to comment and or be a guest on this podcast, please drop me a line at funideas.mark at gmail.com. Become a patron of Mark Arnold and Fun Ideas Productions. If everyone listening just contributed a dollar a month, that would be a tremendous help in continuing the production of my books and this podcast. Also, subscribe to my YouTube channel. The opening and closing music for the Fun Ideas podcast is provided courtesy of Andrew the Slow Poisoner Goldfarb and is used with permission. This has been the Fun Ideas Podcast. This is Mark Arnold speaking. This episode is copyright 2022. Fun Ideas Productions. Thank you and good night. Mutant sex monsters rise up and-